This podcast is for mature audiences only and may include cussing, cursing, fidgeting, rambling, insensitive or irreverent material, slurs, catchphrases, expressions, lamentations, and or degradations that aren't suitable for young folk. Also, we'll be talking about the reefer. That wizard came from the moon. Welcome to Purple Dungeon Squid, the podcast for gamers the toke. If you love the green and you love the screen, then you're in the right place, friend, because we're here to shoot the breeze on some dank strains and some video games. This week on Purple Dungeon Squid, Andy played Suikoden 2, and we talked about it and some other classic titles. We wrap up games that released in June and looked at Epic's views on Fortnite Endgame. A brave dude in the sky smoked a J on an airplane. Summer games done quick. Debuts with some charity speedrunning extravaganzas. We talk Leafly's top strains for backpacking and hiking. Fun things to do while stoned in the summer. Ways people used cannabis in the 1930s. And Assassin's Creed Odyssey tickles our sandals and our underbridges. We'll also be settling in for our smoke sesh with our strain and our munchie of the week. So stick around for that because it's going to be a good, good time. I'm your host, Andy. And with me, as always, the one, the only, who's your daddy? It's Dank Dan. Andy, daddy issues aside, we got a serious problem. Oh, my goodness. That's not the first time I've ever heard that. It looks like uh, that E3 coverage has overfe- overheated the Dank Drive. And not the dank drive. Yeah, the, not just the dank drive, the dank, dank drive. Ooh, the dank squared drive. Well, if the sensors say it's so, then I mean, it looks like we're going to have to set the old purple dungeon pod down on this here asteroid. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, you know what? Let's set it down to mellow. And, uh, you know, I'm going to take this chance to inspect the hall for uh, Minox. I think that's unfounded. I don't think Minox, not, not in this part of space. Well. Andy, you've never know, been one to know when you have a couple Klingons. So, um, just in terms of uh, uh, space, <laughs> Klingons, space safety. What do I need to go out into the gentle vacuum of space? Just like a, just a, an air mask, right? That's it, right? No, no, no. You need those uh, lemon yellow rubber gloves, right? Uh, most often seen in dishwashing, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and get yourself a cold beer. And that seems to me to be the the recipe for success in the dark reaches of space. And maybe a hairnet. Yeah, or not for sure. Yeah, okay, great, <laughs> or not, great. 100%. If working, in, uh, if working in shitty restaurants has taught me anything, is that hairnets are not optional. Have you ever seen um, a, a dude wearing a beard net? Yeah, I've seen that for sure. They wear it unabashedly. And you can tell that it's, a, it's worn in a little bit of an F you to the manager at the beginning of the shift. Like, Stu, Stu, I told you 60 times, wear your fucking uh, beard net. I've Keep those uh, face pubes out of the food. Oh, gross. I've never seen a greater shame than a man wearing a beard net. He's, he's looking at you with the kind of face that's normally reserved for a dog that's been dressed up in a human costume. He's just like, I, I know. I know how I look. 
Yeah, yeah, either that or flip it. Welcome to the Purple Dungeon Squid Podcast, friends. If uh, if you haven't been around before this year, you may not have been able to tell, but this year is a podcast about uh, weed and video games, I think it was last time I checked, right, Dan? That's correct. Not not the short service restaurant industry, as, as we may have suggested. That's on our uh, sub-podcast, the uh, Purple Dungeon Short Ordered Cook. The, the Purple Dungeon Fryer? Yeah, that's correct. <laughs> the Purple Dungeon Calamari for one there you go there you go calamari for one please the saddest meal to ever be ordered on a patio um dude it's been a well, i mean as usual it's been a week but it's good to see you in fact i'm i'm quite literally seeing you at the moment yeah we're this s- is- staring into each other's uh, golden peepers and uh so far <laughs> it's so far it's not my weird. favorite mixed results not my favorite yeah mixed results so far we uh so for those of you out there purple dungeon squad we we've enabled we've enabled the skype and uh, you know now have full a full audio visual experience for reporting this podcast. I, yeah, lukewarm, lukewarm at best. What I'm looking at, what I'm looking at, could be improved. <laughs> <laughs> Back at you, friend. Back at you. Oh, Dan, what's been going on this week, my good man? It's been, I'm like I'm still feeling a little burnt out from E3, right? Uh, y- yeah, no, it's it's true. We took a break from our normal shooting from the hip and calling it as it lies to try and gather some information that like can be verified. And I think, I think we could, we misstepped a couple times listening back to the podcast. You know, there's a couple little, let's call them Easter eggs where I go, Oh, that's not right. <laughs> so, uh, you know, uh, for our, it's like our, listening, listening to a podcast. That's also a minefield. That's you right. Know? That's you right. think, you know, your facts straight, but well, you don't. You know, it, it's like I keep looking at the things we should do, and one of them uh, is have a Twitter account. But I know if we did, it would have danced alive with corrections. I would have been waylaid, <laughs> waylaid with corrections. So, guys, anything that's incorrect, just pretend those are facts for an alternate universe. They're they're correct. So we we ebb and flow between dimension. But I, I I'm gonna give that the dank Dan ninety five percent correct stamp of approval yeah 95 percent factual and to be fair you know uh, i think I've, I've listened to some other coverage of e3 and you know all of those all of those other podcasts they got nothing on our interdimensionality They're, let me just tell you facts maybe but interdimensionality uh, lacking you know when you're constrained by the facts are you really free fair point thank you fair point saw that on a poster once mm-hmm. what have you been up to dude what'd you get uh, what'd you get down with over this this here weekend I did some of the sternest yard sailing that I've done in a while. Andy, are you a yard oh. sale guy? I'm a yard sale guy. Um, I don't get to go as often as I used to uh, pre-kids, but one of my favorite things to do is uh, look you know, look for old like NES or SNES games, Genesis, little, little N64 if the mood tickles me. When you say NES and SNES, it sounds like you're having a stroke, but I do know what you mean. Um, I mean, I, who's I, to say I wasn't? That's true. Uh, your face has gone limp. I thought that was just a normal jolly expression, but it is a limp face. Um, <laughs> that said, here comes the slurred speech. Uh, yeah, you know what? I, me too, buddy. You, you re- rewind the clock 20 years, and uh, I would go with my, my sweet, sweet mother, and we would hit up garage sales and find all kinds of glory, in, including, you know... That was in your in your early 50s? In my early 50s, that's correct. I'm, I'm scheduled right. to die any moment now of old age. But, uh, you know, we'd find stuff like chests full of Lego and, um, uh, you know, bins full of uh, Nintendo games and uh, firearms. And, you know, it was great. It was was just a great experience. You'd roll out. We had a station wagon um, with those seats that that face backwards. It was was a glorious time. I went out this past weekend and the game done changed. 
the game oh man the game done changed andy oh the game done changed big thank all those video game resellers all those folks on the Jeej, the GG Craigslist. Yeah, buddy. Uh, it's it's over. You, it's there's not nary a deal to be found. You said it. I got a whiff on the winds of what was going on when I I checked the uh, online newspaper for uh, the Halton region, and it said on every ad, you know, eight a.m. to one or whatever, and it said no early birds, big exclamation marks, and I was like, that's fascinating. So when I got there, I asked them about it, and they said, what happens is, is there's uh, this subset of folks that show up an hour before the garage sale starts with the intention of buying up everything, not that that right. is worth anything, not because it's they want it, because they want to eBay it, Kijiji it, do their thing, right? And right. the one lady shows, says to me, she goes, this lady shows up at 645, after I sternly said no early birds to my 7.30 start, and she proceeds to haggle with me over a purse that I have uh, placed out there for $2. She's like, I'll, oh, give, come on. I'll give you a dollar. And she's like, I just looked her dead in the eyes, and I said, you know what? It's not for sale. <laughs> and just, she slowly <laughs> pulls it off the table. That's gangster. And I said, yeah, man, come I said on. Linda, you're a gangster. Exactly, buddy. Come on. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It's, it, it, you know, Unfortunately, the secondary market, I mean, listen, let's be real. eBay and Kijiji and Craigslist have done us all a reasonable degree of service in that if you're looking for a rare title, if you're looking to, you know, buy a video game at fair market prices, there's there's good chances that you'll be able to find it in one of those outlets because everything is listed online. All it takes is a quick scoot on over to eBay to find out how much stuff sells for, and there's really no mystery anymore. But that's kind of the thing, isn't it? There's no more like mystery deals to be found at yard sales. No more fabled Tupperware or or whatever uh, big storage bin filled with video game peripherals and you know grails from a day's past. No, everyone's an eBay away from knowing that that shit's worth one hundred and fifty dollars. That Minton Box Chrono Trigger is not uh, a two dollar item, you know, and and it takes away some of the excitement uh, that you might find a deal like that on your on your travels. Now, Andy, just not to be had. Cool your jets because you're you're neglecting one key element that Dank Dan is always capitalizing on. And that's the apathy of his fellow man. <laughs> oh. People are carting things out. Yeah, yeah, they got they got the, you know, online abilities to check, price check any of this stuff. But sometimes you just don't give a sweet fuck, am I right? Yeah, I mean, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. And thinking back to my own yard sale experiences, more often than not, it's get this out of my house and not so much looking for top dollar. But yeah, I mean, you know, if it's not the... Uh, you know, if it's not the the um, overzealous yard sailor, uh, it's your competition out there hunting like sharks an hour before the uh, the garage sale. So I had, I had a distinct advantage. It was rainy, so um, lots of folks right. went there, and I saw some great grabs. If you were an Elton John fan, there was oh. there was a huge collection of. Uh, of Elton John records vinyls available and I was chatting uh you know with the owner and she's like they're great you know we just don't listen to them anymore and I look at uh, the cover and Elton John is wearing giant glasses his chest is bare he has like a uh, 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 just amazing style but I'm saying like to myself how did nobody know that this man was in fact a gay man and then I flipped to the back cover 
and I saw all his other bandmates. Uh, there's a guy wearing jeans and just a giant tribal necklace. There's another man that his body is half painted. I'm like, you know what? It, in the 70s, I guess it was all a pass. Like <laughs> You couldn't pick them out of right. a lineup or anything. And I, it's just, it, yeah. it's glorious. So I picked some of those up and they're going, they're getting featured on my wall as part of my, I have a decorating motif, Andy. I think you've seen of uh, the, the records posted to the wall because the truth be told, I'm yeah. probably not going to listen to them, but they, they, they make awesome wallpaper. It's true. It's true. Right next to your collection of feather boas and uh, women's clothing. Are you, are you kink shaming me, Andy? No, I'm not kink shaming you, can, you, Dan. Can you apologize <laughs> to the entire community for me? <laughs> I'll, I'll apologize if you put on your purple, your purple boa and give me a little show because now I can see you. That, sounds like, a, that sounds like a win and a win. <laughs> sounds like a double win. Yeah, man. I mean, so garage sailing is one of those wonderful summer activities. Let me tell you about summer activities. Um, we picked up a, uh, a an inflatable water park for our backyard. And, you know, it's for the kids, yada, yada, yada. But I'm thinking to myself, why, aren't there, why isn't there cool shit like this for adults? You know, I want a, I want a functional adult water park in my backyard. You know, the kind of thing where yourself, a couple buddies, 8 o'clock in the night, couple brews deep, maybe a joint or two, and uh, all of a sudden you found yourself at Wild Water Kingdom, except it's in your backyard. You know what I mean? I do. I do. Now, did, does this inflatable water park uh, come with like a, a greasier gentleman with a smaller than probably recommended swimsuit? Because that feels like that's part of the experience. That's me. Um, oh. That's me in my own backyard. I see. That's okay, great. Factual. No, but it's true. Like, you know, honestly, summer has sprung. I'm super excited about being outside because we get to do this for like five minutes a year in Canada. So, you know, outside, little water park, uh, end of the day, summer joint. Let me ask you, Dan. What are the best? What are the best summer activities to do with with a joint in hand? I feel like there's infinite. Yeah, the you, horizons are endless. There's lots. There's lots for Dank Dan. It's a it's a kayak, and uh, one of the, our our great what? open waterways. What what was that? A kayak? I mean, that's out of left field. I'd say. I, 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 I'm hearing summer barbecue. I'm thinking no, like buddy, laying no, on the buddy. beach reading a book. You want kayak? We have thousands of waterways, and what you do is you get your kayak in the water. You you blaze down a, a thick 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 joint, and then you just like explore, man. You see. The most amazing things, uh, painted turtles, great blue herons, you know, beavers rocking around. It's there's infinite little mysteries to discover. And uh, and it's one of my favorite things. I'm picking up what you're putting down. I feel like uh, I mean, I feel like a kayak is kayak safer than a canoe. I feel like I don't like the idea of being on open water in a rickety old boat. First of while I'm baked. First, <laughs> that doesn't sound safe. First of all, they're made of like poly like plastics, so they're not rickety. Doesn't really come into the equation at all. Uh, no, man. I mean, you you gotta you gotta mess up pretty badly to to go wrong on a on a kayak. Uh, just, I, don't, I feel so. I feel like that's not fact. I feel like it, Andy, a, tell tell me about your very, kayaking expertise. I'm ready. I don't know. I think kayaking. I think easy to tip over. I think you dying in a canoe upside so, down. So uh, you're obviously you've never been in a kayak. You, it's difficult <laughs> to tip over. You got to really work at it. And one of the first things right. you learn to do is if you go turn over, is how to right yourself with uh, with your paddle. Um, and you're you're 
pretty much sealed in there. So risks are What minimal. I'm hearing is you're not dying in a kayak. I'm hearing I'm dying in That's a kayak correct. when we smoke a joint That's and right. out on the open water. Yeah, buddy. And I mean, you have to call you have to call home and explain why I'm uh, why I'm floating down one of our many waterways <laughs> upside down dead buddy i don't have to explain anything i'll just i'll just bring back an article of your clothing and set it on the table and your wife will nod knowingly and <laughs> she'll know what snap she'll... a snap a photo of my overturned canoe for instagram yeah i mean the rule there. in a canoe is don't stand up if you don't stand up you're not tipping that canoe over if you're uh-huh. the dumbass is like oh, i'm gonna come to the back of the boat and then then you're in trouble then you're in trouble. Um, I feel like fishing. I feel like fishing for me is a sweet summer activity to do with a joint in hand. You know, I feel like setting up on the lakeside, casting a, casting my rod, and uh, and tooling around for some big mouth bass. Andy, you shit pretty hard on my kayaking to come back with fishing. Like it's the next activity <laughs> over. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong, but at least fishing is largely inactive. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Is your boat still it. tied to the dock when you're fishing? Like, talk to me about yeah. this. Yeah, I think so. I think shore fishing is the way to go. Fishing, boy, let's move right past this one. I think a picnic, a picnic's a nice thing. You know, head out. <laughs> you bring your like your picnic basket. Andy, did you, Google, did you Google summer activities and start reading off the list? Tell, tell me the truth. I'm drawing from the heart, man. You are drawing now. I can see the reflections of the website in your glasses. You've been gotten. <laughs> Get off, Martha. Quilting a blanket? Um, is Quilting. The next one? Making a fresh Crochet. cup of, of lemonade. <laughs> <laughs> fresh cup of lemonade sounds great after uh, after a big old bong hit. Um I mean, it's just such a beautiful, resplendent season for getting outside. Because, like, I'm so used to being indoor, you know, smoking a little before bed. Now this opens up a whole possibility of getting out into the great outdoors and doing the thing. Hiking and camping yep. go hand in hand with cannabis. Classic. And hand, handheld gaming. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> if we're being real. Um, what else? One more. One more good summer activity. And you just stop reading off the list for a second. Have you ever ripped a, a dirt bike around in the summer? No, there are sounds like that's bucket list. That's bucket list. There are few pleasures as pure as just getting on, getting on a nice, a nice dirt bike and just brap. Now, let me tell you, it's hard work. Like if you've ever been on an ATV, that's pretty leisurely because you got four wheels. We got two wheels. I'm, I was expecting a gentle ride. This is not true. You're standing most of the time. You're putting a foot on the ground to make turns. Like you, I was Sounds a lot like work. Tired. I was tired by the end, uh, but definitely a doer. That's one. That's one to do if you get the opportunity. Yeah, I feel like uh, you know any sort of any sort of vehicular um, situation is probably not my favorite thing to do uh, after smoking. You know. Yeah. Um, it's, it's just, yeah, for me, it's, it's a non, it's a non-starter. Although I feel like a boat, maybe you could make a boat work. Uh, Maybe that's, that's the exact opposite direction that you want to go in. I think, I think know thyself. Do you know what I mean? And get a sense of where you're at. The nice thing about, the nice thing about a boat is if things get a little bit too hectic, it's kind of like an escalator. You just, when it stops, it turns into stairs or in this case, a floating island. You know what I mean? You just stop That's and, right, man. and just relax for a little bit. Make sure you're not in the, uh, you know, you're not in the lane of boat traffic. 
Um, they call that the channel in the biz. Write that down. Jot and that down. They call that the channel. The channel. Now, yeah, just, nice. This uh, boy. This is some in-depth boating knowledge here. I feel like I'm taking my boater exam. <laughs> just reading. Just reading your glasses. I can see the next thing on that list is uh, up. Go into a, a field of blueberries and pick your favorite ones. <laughs> Only the good blueberries, Dan. Uh, well, bifurcation buoys and blueberries aside, um, I think there's plenty to do outside in the summer, and I'm looking forward to at least five more minutes of that season here in uh, in the Great White North. Um, and when that all adjourns, I'm pretty excited because I'm grabbing a PS2 Slim this week. Ooh! Now, how's that for a little a little blast back to the old video game and past? That's the PS2 that it's been put on a stern diet of. Cayenne and lemon water. For real, though, like the one thing that really drives me bonkers about this generation of, of PlayStation consoles is no backwards compatibility, right? Yeah. And, you know, that's one thing that PlayStation 2 did. You, you had the ability to get those old PSX games on there. You've got a beautiful, huge library of PS2 games. And it's like the last generation of console that has such an infinitely large library that it's almost it's almost worth owning just for that um you know there's it's funny because you go back and revisit some of these consoles and previous generations having less amenities than current generations aka no wireless controllers just feels super archaic you know mm -hmm. but getting getting back in on it um you know the ability to jump between a Crash Bandicoot and play across all of your favorite Metal Gear Solid titles, etc. Eh, there's something there's something there. I feel like it has a room in my game room. And also, I noticed that there was a title a local local uh, video game um, buy and sell place. There was a Warhammer real time strategy game for the original PlayStation for PSX, which blows my mind because. I remember playing StarCraft on uh, Nintendo 64, and I remember, recall it being a super terrible experience. RTS is on a, on a console, generally a dumb idea, right? I can't hearken to a game that occurred on a console in the RTS world that wasn't painful, like, like trying to fornicate a, a cactus. I can't think of one. Uh, SimCity... Terrible example. The perfect example, SimCity on Super Nintendo might have been my first experience, and that was passable, but I remember like when I moved over to the computer, I was like, okay, this is the way to do it. And then I realized that um, simulating what it would like what it would be like to be um, you know, an engineer for the city maybe wasn't my jam, and I never returned to SimCity. Would you like to? engineer the uh, sewer system for this large city i'm like ah, no i think i'll just go no pass do this some ninja one. guy denning no man i mean sim city was all about the natural disasters right like first you get a brownout going on you're like oh i built too much stuff there's not enough power to make things happen and then you know just as you're fixing the power tsunami earthquake tornado everyone's dead you start to get fires break out you start yeah, to get—it's just—it's really Scottenfreud, is what it is. You really start to get why God did what He did to Noah. He's like, "All right, this thing's going wrong. You're getting a forty-day flood. Noah, do what you can, buddy. You—you you give one guy the heads up. That's your moral out as God. You're like, you're like, there's everybody's going, buddy. I know you're over two hundred years old, but you're gonna be the guy to do it. All right, later. God, yeah. God out. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, uh, no, so I, back to the original question. RTS on a console, I don't know that it could ever be done in the right way. I feel like a mouse and keyboard is the only way 
that you can make an RTS feel native, you know, selecting units, doing the doing the the thing of largely clicking on your heads up display to cue the construction of units, etc. Um, but for the sake of science, I'm going to pick up this Warhammer real-time strategy game. I think it's called Oh God, something of the Rat King or something like that. Uh, and it actually has a reasonably high rating. I think it's like a 7.6 or a 7.7 on um, ba, 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 GameSpot, I think it was. There's another one. There's a sequel to that game that got an even higher rating. It was like 8.2. I think it was called Dark Omen. And so I'm sitting here thinking to myself, is this a byproduct of that time period when people were reviewing those games? Or are these still relevantly good games today. So the only time will tell. Um, I have a feeling that that's $20 I'll wish for back pretty quickly. But hey, we'll give it a go. You know, RTSs are the closest thing you can get to administration plus fun. And having to do like an admin job through a PlayStation controller sounds like the worst. But uh, we'll have to yeah. see how you do. <laughs> it's like it's like putting your accounting degree on hard mode. Hey, Karen, right, can you set a meeting for me at five, but um, use R2? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, right? Uh, just just reconciling our fiscal year end here. Um, make sure to press start, select, start <laughs> to, uh, to access the second tab. Um, yeah, so anyway, PS2 Slim is coming my way. Any retro consoles you still pull out, Dan, or are you, uh, you kind of sternly in the, sternly in the future? They're on the shelf. Um, you know what? I bit, had my had my brain and and my my joysticks in the now for a little bit. Um, they do still hearken to me. I'll fire up Mega Man Two on my iPhone every now and again. Um, but I yeah. I haven't I haven't gone back back in time in quite some some time. For me, I I when I had my my hacked Xbox with all the business on it. It was really easy and accessible to jump in, but there seems to be like speaking of Warhammer, like a level of alchemy you have to engage in to operate the old tech. You have to light some incense and dip dip some things in oil and say the sacred words to get the game to go. And right. you're like, I'm furious if I have to wait four seconds to get the game started. I'm like, fun! I said fun! <laughs> fun now I said fun, fun now. now um so fun now you know, yeah uh, no, i feel you it, it can be tough but you mean it's it's glorious i've always had stars in my eyes around like sitting my young children yet to be born in front of the nintendo and being like this is duck hunt yes 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 all of those things Ah, uh, well, uh, I, I, I think you'll find that i took a little stroll down ancient alley here in a minute um but first First and foremost, Dan, this episode of Purple Dungeon Squid, as you may know, is brought to you by Weedon Video Games. Weedon Video Games, thank you. Thank you for being both weed and video games. Also brought to you by that weird, harmless-looking blotch on your arm. It's growing, but I wouldn't worry about it. Dermatologists charge extra. <laughs> brought to you by 50-foot carrots. 50-foot carrots, when you need to tame a 50-foot bunny. Ooh, uh, brought to you by XX Extra Energy Drink. When vibrating is a double purpose operation. XX Extra Energy Drinks. <laughs> brought to you by Suspiciously Soft Blankets. Deborah, is this human pelt? You tell me if this is human pelt, right? Oh, no. No, no, no. Brought to you finally by Portable Kangaroo Pouches. Portable Kangaroo Pouches. They're all portable unless you've removed your, the kangaroo's legs, you monster. Portable Kangaroo Pouches. Ooh. 
You know what? I had a kangaroo meat pie the other day. Oh, really? Was that at yeah, uh, quite first? Uh, no, it was at, I think the restaurant's called Kangaroo. Really? If you want to actually that sponsor the show, feel free neat. to email us at purpledungeonsquid at gmail.com. Until then, you'll have to put up with all of this nonsense. I can't wait. Ooh, Dan. Dan, Dan, Dan. That's Danny me. boy. I'm Dan. That's you. Hey, you're Dan. <laughs> Who's Dan? You're Dan. Whenever I wonder, oh, I just check my name tag. Boom. Yeah, Dang, you know it's funny. I you know I want to I want to settle into this segment about you know what what I played and what you played over the past week and and I just so I just feel a little bummed out. It's like this post E three uh, glow. Mm-hmm. You know, initially initially there's the there's the juices settling in, the juices of excitement. Yeah, you know of bite of biting into a crisp plum of. 18 months worth of releases, Super Smash Bros, Assassin's Creed, Spider-Man, Halo, they're all raining down upon us. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, then it's all over and those games aren't here and you got to go back to what is released. And I mean, I think we can both agree. It, it feels feels a little bit, there's a little bit of a, mm, a malaise. It's a little, a little bit, bit empty. Little bit, yeah. well, one time yeah. your house was filled with all your friends and now they've left and only their garbage remains and you're dutifully right. sweeping it up. Right. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. So I, I returned to something that felt a little bit like comfort food, a little bit like uh, like a cozy Snuggie, mm-hmm. like, a, like a little Snuggie. Yeah. Um, speaking of which, I bought a Snuggie once, not as advertised, Don't not very this. good, and also really bad for your self-esteem. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's right. If your buddy yeah. catches you in a Snuggie, I mean, there's really no recovery. No, there's not. You better have like, uh, you better have like sewed in lining to fit at least 60 beers so you can justify it as like a co- like a massive beer cozy it's cl- anything else is just unacceptable it's clinkier than you'd expect yeah <laughs> uh, it also keeps me super cold but um yeah so i you know i went back to a jrpg classic that's been on my bucket list for quite some time and that's sweet code in two uh, Sweet Code in Two is a game that was released in 1998 to very little fanfare, because um, this game, unfortunately for it, came out just before or around the same time as Final Fantasy VIII. So, do you remember when Final Fantasy VII crested the scene and kind of dominated everything in that moment, where the Western world said, "Hey, yeah, give us more of that." You know what I mean? It cracked open. The, the shell around North America that said, keep your Japanese games out of here. It broke that wide open and they came racing in. Yeah, they came flooding in like uh, like salmonella. And, um, and, you know, the challenge about the genre is, like, how do you differentiate a hundred games that they all decided to release in, inside of 18 months of each other? You know, they're, you're like, uh, there's swords and magic and, and a kingdom, and it's every single one. So, so many got missed. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong. Um, this one, unfortunately, was missed uh, among that group. And to be fair, um, you know, I can see why. You've got a game where, you know, Final Fantasy VIII was doing these things, pushing the envelope with uh, 3D graphics, with it basically taking the PSX to task in terms of its graphical capability. And Suikoden came out with, um, you know, with, with albeit fancy and well-rendered, and um, they, they pulled it up on a tilt, so somewhat novel, but sprite graphics. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, this game releases goes largely unplayed. 
and over time turned into this widely revered, almost phenomenon. In fact, you can't really look at a list of top 10 JRPGs without finding Suikoden 2 on there. Uh, it was about 2015, yeah, 2015 where they re-released the game on PSP, on Vita, on PS3. Uh, much to my chagrin, it's not out on PS4. Um, it's not available on PS... Yeah, pretty silly. But... Um, you know, it's funny because prior to that, they actually massively underproduced this game. Mm. So it was extremely hard to find. Copies were going for like $100 to $150. Wow. Right? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, all of this has culminated in this spot where I'm super stoked to play this game. I picked it up on the Vita. It looks great on the Vita, by the way. Um, and, you know, I settled down and, and, and jumped into it on a plane ride and spent a lot more time with it over the last week. So l- let me ask you, have you heard of Sweet Codan 2 before? Have you, have, you, have you dipped into it at all? Or No personal experience. It's, it's something that, like you say, it, it slow burned its way onto the stage despite everything. You know, obviously they weren't sure I was going to perform it was underproduced, and uh, you know I keep hearing its name, and uh, I'm I'm glad I'm going to hear about it a little bit because maybe, by God, maybe we'll get a PS4 release. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like if if they do, you know, it's it's an, unfortunately even today uh, not the kind of game that plays particularly well on a home console. You know, I feel like now playing a, a sprite-based JRPG kind of only happens on the in the handheld world. Hmm. For example, you got Oct- Octopath Traveler, which is, is pretty pretty widely uh, anticipated coming out for the Switch. Um, and that's a wonderful place to sit down and go through a sprite-based game. You know, it feels like the right medium for it. Anyway, Suikoden 2 uh, had a super slow intro. And this is the one thing with JRPGs that, that kills me sometimes, is that the game is so focused on the damn story. Right, like the game is all about the story. That when there's a, a somewhat nebulous, or let's call it what it was, um, which was relatively benign introduction, I can lose I can lose interest real quick. For mm-hmm. me, like a story based game needs to hook me in like the first ten minutes, or mm-hmm. else I'm kind of out. Yeah, but you know, you know, this one this one opens up. You're spending a lot of time doing some, some real boring shit. Uh, but it, it busts open and there's a lot of promise after the first hour, let's call it, in that you know you find yourself meeting and recruiting um, characters into your party that impact the game in a couple couple unique ways that really define this game. So have you heard about so if I were to, if I were to tell you, what's the what's the novelty or ask you, what's the novelty element of Sweet Code on 2? Do you know what it is? Mm, no. Right, it's okay, fine, fair fair point. So it's like in the world of JRPGs, Sweet Code and 2 is loved because uh you can you can recruit up to 108 additional characters that can join your party and interact with one another in really interesting ways. Wow. So, yeah, so it's it's kind of like it's got this this secret finding collectability element where as you go through the main storyline, there's also the hyper um, customizable element of being able to mash together whatever characters you find interesting and have a different playthrough than you either did previously or than your buddy who played the game did also. So it's kind of the same. Can you get them all or some or like you can get some on one playthrough and then like can you get all 108 on the roster if you if you put the potions together just right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you can. So, uh, I think maybe one or two of them you required to play through Sweet Code in one and transfer over a game game file save or something. But okay. you know, it, it, by and large, you have the ability to recruit everybody in one playthrough. It's kind of the same. It's kind of the same conversation we had last week with Octopath Traveler, right? 
JRPGs often don't stick with me because it feels like I'm playing the same linear experience as everybody else who's playing that game. Even Final Fantasy VII. You know, there aren't a lot of decision points in that game. And even in as much as combat goes, by and large, you're playing with... I mean, yeah, you can choose between a couple extra characters, but you know the story notes are going to be roughly the same, and the way that you approach combat is going to be roughly the same. Here or with Octopath Traveler, you know they they go the the path of 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 um, allowing you to go down multiple um, paths to the end. So there are many storylines you can take. In Suikoden Two, despite the fact that there's one storyline, you can do it with up to 108 different characters. So the variety in there really hooked hooked me. Um, so yeah, I'm really enjoying this thing. The story's good so far. It's not blowing my mind. I'm about 15 hours in. But I got to tell you, the ability to swap characters in and out and do what's called random, just like general overland battles with these characters that interact with each other um, in ways that'll open up new combat patterns and new ways of of taking down enemies is really cool. And then there's also like an overland kind of war battle situation where you can get a castle and start raising an army. And it's a totally different way of going about, um, you know, going about uh, enacting combat through the game. It's just, it's neat. It feels like a game that's way beyond its time. You know, there's so much depth here that it's kind of hard to believe it released in 1998, you know? Yeah, it seems like it's got a couple different layers and and scales of gameplay and when you said the 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 war level that that is fascinating to me have you got to that point in the game yet yeah i mean admittedly i'm still pretty early and it's still pretty simplistic um you know functionally you can you know you can recruit i don't know uh warriors archers and mages and um the, you know the, put a war band together the holy trinity the, the, the holy of battle trinity. Yeah, so it's it's more simplified than than you know like a, a total war like a, an RTS would be. Obviously, you'd want it to um, be, I but, think, right? Yeah, yeah, I think you'd want it to be. But you know, it just it brings another another sense of scale to you know what in RPG combat is usually a standard party versus you know monster setup, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm I'm really stoked on on Sweet Code and Two so far. It's going to be my train game, my train game for a little while. Uh, it's funny because I googled Suikoden 2 and there are two articles. I can't remember. One of them is by K- Kotaku. One sec. Suikoden 2. One of them is by Kotaku and one of them is by... Oh, God. I'm sorry. I, I can't recall. But there are two articles, two years apart, and both of them have almost the same title, which is why you should play Suikoden 2, one of the <laughs> best RPGs ever made. Two separate people. Um, you know, talking about talking about their love for this game. So I got to say, uh, I give it a definite, a definite check it out. Um, especially if you're a JRPG fan. For me, you know, this game, this game uh, has already got its hooks in me. What's more interesting about talking about Sweet Coden, other than you know saying, hey, it's a good game, is that you look at Final Fantasy VIII. Which re- which released at the same time, which overshadowed it for you know for, by virtue of its next level graphics and you know the polish that it was putting out in a time when str- when sprite based was you know the standard, is that the the graphical style that Sweet Code and Two uh, went with today is still super visually appealing. You know, I fired this up on my Vita, and immediately I get the warm and fuzzies. It's Clean. beautiful. Clean. Yeah, it's yeah clean, beautiful, crisp sprites. They're really attractive to look at. And then you go back and look at Final Fantasy VIII, and despite the fact that it's a classic game and it's definitely worth playing, it kind of looks like a dog's breakfast. You know what I mean? 
I do. When you're pushing the envelope of graphic capability with horsepower and trying to render, you know, uh, what what was you know beautiful at the time when we've come so much further then you're in the middle you know what i mean you're not on the super clean side and you're not on the super high resolution side so it doesn't age as well and i think it's an interesting point because there's if i play something like you know uh, going back to it a mega man even on my big screen even though it's not high resolution per se it looks clean you know the the everything right. the edges are nice uh, it's aesthetically pleasing and when i flip back to the you know a, a 4k movie you know, you're on the other side. It's uh, the resolution strikes you, but when you find yourself in the middle, it's just it's hard to to straddle both sides of the world. And unfortunately, I think those games get lost in there. And I think that's why remasters, good or bad, are so often attempted because sometimes these things don't age well. Yeah, it's true. Well, I mean, you look at even like Ocarina of Time or Majora's Mask; those were re-released. Um, I mean, yeah, you could buy them on Wii, etc. But it just was not the same grabbing a flat screen TV and trying to jump back into that game. Looks great when you shrink it down and put it on a 3DS, right? That's That's been a, a very successful platform for those games. But, it, you know, it boils down to games that are representative versus realistic, right? You know, you look at a game like Sweet Coden, you look at a game like, well, we can we can talk about a couple examples, but they're, they're sprites. Sprites are representative. It's not to scale. It's not realistic. It's, a, it's an artistic representation of what they're trying to put across. This so, is a fighter. These are the, you know, 124 pixels that represent a fighter. God bless you. Versus trying to be on the cutting edge of tech and putting forward something that's realistic with what's available at the time, right? Andy, say that again because it was such a good point. What are the two words you used? I said uh, representative versus realistic. That's such a great way to put it because you're right. That's Those are the two kind of cuts that, that can be taken and one really that representative just ages so much better because mm-hmm. it's, yeah, it's always driving home the same point, the same visual idea. Well, it's yeah. It's so what we're talking about is timeless graphics, right? Like yeah. like games that create graphics that um, today look great and in the future look great because they're not they're not trying to push tech to m- mimic reality. Yeah. Because you look at a game even on PS3. You know, I went back and played Red Dead Redemption a little while ago, and that game when we when I first played it on PS3, I remember looking gorgeous, right? Gorgeous, hyper realistic. I would have, you know, I would have sworn up and down that it was you know, as close to real as you could get in a video game. And the funny thing is, is, I don't know if you've experienced this before, but like when I think about it in my mind, the level of realism and the polish on that game is is even beyond what a PS4 or an Xbox uh, one can achieve right now. Right. But you go back and play it and you notice how absolutely incorrect your memory of the game is, how low resolution it is, how everything looks a little bit more polygonal than, you know, you remember. Do you, do you, have you experienced that? Yeah. Memory is both forgiving and it representative in its own way because it represents how you felt about it at that moment uh, we were right, talking about it right. downcast a couple podcasts ago i don't remember vhs tapes and boy am i dating myself as being grainy and horrible but when i pop in my copy of who framed roger rabbit i'm like oh wow this is difficult to watch oh yeah 100 percent, 100 percent. um but yeah so you know i put together a little list of games for myself and maybe you've got a couple also um 
of time games with timeless graphics not sweet code but and, and it's interesting just going back to these because these are games that i could absolutely play any day without having you know that wince of watching a a, a cherished favorite turn into a you know sloppy <laughs> sloppy hot mess in one breath right <laughs> what about yourself do you, have, do you have a couple games that you can think of with timeless graphics you said Mega Man, right yeah buddy you can you can sort of guess that one right off the hop um boy just sort of thinking about it on the spot what's what's something that was super clean i, well, I gotta say my, go ahead i really enjoy um the original dragon warrior um you know slimes aside um there's some pretty pretty great graphics that just continue to look good to me to this day yeah, and that's that's kind of in the same vein of that sprite-based um, graphics, and you know, I mean, you you can you can translate that across many Super Nintendo titles, across Game Boy titles, um, you know, Secret of Mana, Pokemon, you know, those games still, and to me, actually look better than their their modern counterparts. World of Warcraft is another one that that slayed it, slayed it when it came to creating a game with timeless graphics. Mm. You look at w- early WoW visuals, and while many of those of those models have been retextured and updated uh, incrementally, the, um, the, the basis of, yeah, the bones that are there are are cartoony in a way that's still serious enough that you can be you can feel, you can get into it and feel excited about it but that doesn't age in the same way that I don't know you know your Elder Scrolls Morrowind did or um, you look at Warhammer Online um, that that game that shut down a long while ago that game went with almost actually a similar style but just like 30 degrees more realistic mm-hmm. and you look at screenshots right now it's a dog's breakfast you know, EverQuest uh, 2, Dog's Breakfast. Most of the MMOs from that time, even Lord of the Rings Online. Do you remember how amazing Lord of the Rings Online looked when we played it? The vistas and the way that they recreated Middle Earth. Like, do you remember how beautiful that was? Yeah. Yeah, I, I would <laughs> I would say that um, you're right. Some of that doesn't hold up, but um, the uh, Elven... It really doesn't hold up. The Once you get out of Moria, the Elven... The Elven City still looks like the fields of gently swaying wheat still have something to them. Yeah, I don't know. I I I've installed uh, Lord of the Rings online on a lark about six months ago, and I just I like I played for like maybe ten minutes. I don't it remember was... getting a text. <laughs> I was dipping my toes in, man. I was experimenting in private. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you didn't me. want me to know. You didn't want me to know. I didn't want you to know. You, I, you I knew I would have to... blasted you because the last yeah, time Andy, Andy coaxed me into the world of Lotro and I, I joined him wholeheartedly and 10 levels later, Andy was gone, but Dan was in Back for to 40, World of Warcraft. 40 more levels. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. I remember coming over to your place and watching you, like, I don't know, jump around in Moria with your fancy swords, and I was still a, a lowly level 15 minstrel or something. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, WoW did it right. I think StarCraft is a great example of timeless graphics. Yeah? You know, it's, yeah, it's not sprite-based. Well, sorry, it is sprite-based, but the way that it's represented in an RTS fashion, just decidedly different than an RPG, and for my money... Old school StarCraft graphics, uh, way better than you know today's modern StarCraft two graphics. Opinions? They're hitting you so right. I don't have a lot of opinions about StarCraft. I, I'm sorry. I wish that I did. 
but I just don't. It's, yeah, it's not my favorite either, I and mean, it's never never been a, a a lover for me. But you know, I, I can appreciate the graphics. Um, Street Fighter is an easy one. I, I think that Street Fighter Four took character concepts that looked beautiful rendered in sprite and turned them into abominations. <laughs> you know, I don't know. You remember our first time playing Street Fighter Four? How disorienting it was. I don't. I don't need to see those dimensions. That 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 last half a dimension that you've offered to me. It's horrifying to, to behold <laughs> the, the, you know, it's like they looked at Ryu and they said, what if he was as beefy as possible? What if we took the maximum human beef you could have on your person and increased it beyond that? Like, if you look at like an Arnold Schwarzenegger in his prime or for our UFC fans out there, a Cain Velasquez at, at his time, he still doesn't have the proportions of Ryu. Like, what horse you know, uh, steroids and, you know, hot Mexican supplements is Ryu on to get fingers <laughs> that look like they could do a thousand pull-ups. Yeah, yeah. His, his fingers have abs. It's, uh, it's genuinely terrifying. And the eyes, you know, it's just, it's trying to realize halfway between comic book sprite style and, you know, realism. And boy, does it ever not work for me visually. The game they, itself was exceptional. They've fallen into the uncanny valley, and what's down there is equally horrifyingly proportioned dragons. You're just like, oh, no. Kill it with no, fire. No, thank you. Yeah, 100%. And Street Fighter V is not much better, if we're being honest. Um, Doom. Doom was a great example of a game that the first incarnation, even today, and again, this is because it's highly, highly representative. You know, you've got demons made of like four separate pixels, right? But the original Doom, I, you know, I played it in a browser-based um, fashion previously, and it was just as much fun as when I originally fired it up on whatever, Windows 94, <laughs> Or ninety five, rather, not ninety four. You got that. You got that pre release. You got that beta ninety four. That, that, that early that dip. Um, <laughs> that yeah, early Windows ninety four. I remember straight from uh, Bill. There's like only four sides of every sprite. There's because they're not rendered. So there's the front of the sprite. There's the side of the sprite, and there's the back of the sprite. Those oh, are the yeah. only sides. There's. There, Tell me they didn't work. Tell me they didn't oh, do it for you. Amazing. Though. And I mean, I like in a three hundred and sixty degree world. There's only four degrees, front, back, side to side. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. But you limit you limit your, um, y you're saying something, and listen, obviously it was made in a time where that was by necessity, but you're saying something very specific with those graphics, and that's, you know, this is here to both look cool and be utilitarian, because it's all you need. You don't need the high fidelity, you know, three or 3D model to create um, gameplay that's both interesting and exciting, right? Today... Uh, you can still go back and play Doom, albeit it's not quite as fancy as floating around in a Halo style or a Destiny style shooter. But there's still there's still good gameplay to be had there, and it still looks great. Well, and you um, have the, if I may, the endeavors that still exist in like today's game production. Just to be quick about it, is like all these things. It's everything. It's like making a movie, you know. But you go back to Doom. It has so many of those elements to it still in it. It has professionally composed music um by the likes of nine inch nails you know what i mean you have that nine inch nails that's not a real fact no it's true give that the original doom was was composed by nine inch nails yeah let's just put a pin in that that's incredible yeah let's put a pin in that you can googs that later give that a googs but i mean yeah and it, you know it, it what what i was you know what i was getting at is 
when things are a little bit more stripped down, you can focus on a couple of the elements that you're dedicated to making your game great. And, you know, I think we've gone so far, we've got this boom and bust AAA game economy because you got to do everything. You got to do all the rendering. You got to do all the 3D mapping, the voice acting, the composing, the online, you know, all that stuff. And then pray that your game is good after you've done everything that every other game company is doing. And that's why I very often will retreat into the bastion of the indie world because they they are committed to doing a couple things really well because they can't do it all. You know what I mean? Right. No, I know exactly what you mean. And that that's kind of why I like to retreat into older titles, retro titles, because when you're playing Super Mario World, there's really one only one objective. You know, you get through the level, you escape the bullet hell, you don't get kicked over by a Goomba. And it, it can really, like honestly, sometimes jumping into um, a modern title can feel like more than I want in the state that I'm in. End of the day, little tired, just smoked a bowl, ready for bed in like 45 minutes. Am I willing to commit to uh, an epic game of strategy and, uh, you know, Bioware style role playing? No, I don't want that at all. I want to either turn my brain off or do some jumping over some obstacles, you know? Yeah, it's, so at it's, that time it's of night, it's not time to have a turkey dinner. Maybe I'll just have some cheese and crackers. Yeah, I'm getting a lot of cheese and crackers lately. Sweet Coden, what's beautiful about these these like old school JRPGs is that you still get kind of the main course in there. Um, and at the same time, it just it feels comfortable enough that you can you can jump in and, and start mashing some buttons on uh, on combat. By the way, it I don't know if it's one of the first, but I feel like it's an early example of including auto attack in your in your JRPG, which I got to say, I, I, I've thrown some shade at before, but in Sweet Code and 2, it totally works. There's something about being able to, you know, hit up that combat with six generic enemies you killed 300 times before and put yourself on auto attack just to, like, give your mind a little space to breathe. Watch that experience come in and watch those enemies go down and deal with the commensurate amount of resource loss in the form of health and just be like, okay, that, that was exactly what I expected, except I didn't have to hit a thousand buttons, you know? The, the lazy man's uh, JRPG. I just like I to prefer, sit back and let it all happen. Uh, you become kind of a voyeur. <laughs> You're like, I like to watch. Aren't we all, man? I mean, look at the success of Twitch. I think you only got to look in that direction to understand we'd all rather be watching games than playing them, or at, at the very least, most of the time. Um, I think one, one more game with timeless graphics for me would be Baldur's Gate. Anything 3D isometric I don't know what it is about that viewpoint. You can get away with a whole lot more. Uh, well, I guess it's because it's inherently, again, representative, right? You look at Baldur's Gate and the way that they create, um, you know, uh, an RPG world is with um, hand-painted sprites and models that are not to scale with your character at all. You know, you've got the blessings of an isometric world that you can move your character through, but that doesn't, that can be more painterly than 3d model. Um, yeah, it's, it's like walking through. That's exactly it. It's like walking your character through a painting. That's exactly what it is. Got yourself. So all game of, diorama there. Yeah. I, I really like that. It's almost, <laughs> it's, it's you, you, you said a thing and I think you were more right than you realized. It's like, it's like, uh, you know, watching a very satisfying little dollhouse happen. <laughs> 
Oh no, I you know? knew exactly how right I was. <laughs> Ew, you you felt that already for sure. Yeah, so you know, I mean, for me, uh, <clears throat> jumping back into a game with timeless graphics like Sweet Coden was um, was warm and familiar. And uh, now that I've stated those five games, I, I fully intend on revisiting them all because I've got I've got some serious game fuzzies going on. Is Sweet Coden two four twenty friendly? Yep, sure is. But don't forget to save, which I did and lost or promptly about an hour and a half of gameplay time. Bum, uh, bum, went out bum. Yeah, I'm just so used to games auto-saving now, right? You do anything in a game. You reorganize your inventory, and today's game that's, will auto-save for you. That's PS4 privilege, buddy. That's it, man. That's it. I went out into some fields, ground some ground some uh, enemies down, got that experience up, sharpened some uh, and upgraded some weapons, went and talked to some people and initiated some side quests, went through, you know, a pretty challenging part of the game and promptly got squashed by a boss, forgetting that I needed to go back to the inn and save. Uh, boy, uh, that was a frustrating moment. Now you um, suffer the consequences. Yes, sir. But yeah, it's a charming visual feast, this game. Simple dialogue, um, an in-depth combat system. It's it's video game comfort food. And I will say, for beginner-friendly, Google Google some tips for Code N2 before you play. There's little nuances, just like with every old-school game, that you will not know. Like, for example, how combat works. There's I won't go into the details. Just Google it. Uh, little things that you would have once upon a time read the manual to understand. And in this day and age, jumping in is is not an option unless you want to bork yourself. So beginner friendly otherwise, yes, for sure. Beautiful, buddy. I like how you snuck in a top 10 list inside your review. You just sort of <laughs> put it right in there. Sneaky. It's not, a top, it's not a top 10 if it's a top five. And if it's a top five, it doesn't count. Am I right? No. Um, Andy, can I tell you a little bit about a game I played this yeah, week? Yeah, tell me. What'd you play, buddy? What'd you play? I fired up an old favorite, um, a little indie title called Kingdom. You ever heard of this guy? No, Kingdom. Uh, no, I've Kingdom Builder is what I'm thinking about. Tremendous. So Kingdom puts you into the seat of either a king or a queen, selected uh, at a random ethnicity, and you find yourself uh, on a horse deep within the wood. And the uh-huh. game. What did, te- what, did uh, what did Queen Dan name his horse? There's no names, sir. And also, there's no interrupting. Okay, not only do you not speak, you don't think thoughts that I'm not thinking. That's the kind of tight ship that I'm running on this review. You understand? One does not interrupt the queen. <laughs> um, so you know, like how you stepped into character here. This is good. It's perfect. So uh, as you uh, as you forge ahead, you find that the game offers you only three buttons to press at any given time and those are your directional arrows and you know what strikes struck me immediately is this is a fantastic example of a game that accomplishes tons with minimalism you're looking at pixel art with extremely low detail yet it is shockingly nuanced and mesmerizing um the whole the whole game is reflected by a brook that that sits in the, the 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 foreground that reflects everything that's happening in the rest of the game and it, it's kind of haunting and beautiful at the same time as you're moving through the forest it's quite scary and there's there's uh, ruins that have been pulled down by vines and as you move out of the forest and and light sort of dawns you find a campfire and as you light it you start the initial steps of building 
your city, your fortification, and, and gaining followers. And the game tells you virtually nothing. You just sort of come across it as you play. You know that type of game? Yeah. Um, I, so I, I don't still don't know what this game is about. That's and I know you're beautiful. leading me there, but I'm interested. Oh, I'm, I'm going to get you there. So, I mean, it becomes very quick, quickly apparent that as night falls, danger rises and an evil lurks out of the forest. And on either side of your new humble settle, settlement, evil creatures come out of the night. And the game sort of gently lets you know that you can spend gold out of your pouch to build defenses and to give your newfound followers that you find in the woods and give little bits of gold um, roles. They can be archers, they can be farmers, they can be um, catapult men. And you start to build this um, society that's basically its purpose is to defend against this um, you know, nightly onslaught. And some nights, nothing comes. And then randomly, a red moon rises, and you have these massive onslaughts. So, oh, I love that. The really the only thing that comes up on screen is little instructions on as you come across things. Let's put it that way. Uh, to what will happen to when you press up? Press up to buy this or to activate this mysterious shrine. Um, you know, and I'm I'm actually in this review not going to tell everybody a lot about how the game works because a lot of it is sort of the fun is discovering it um there is like a, a mystery all over the the whole game but you know all accomplished by either moving left or right or pushing up um you yeah, know I, to, I love that right I, I don't you know I, I so we were talking earlier on about a game that you can play at the end of your day without requiring too much ancillary brain power it sounds like exactly that because you can I, I'm assuming it sounds like you can make some complex decisions without needing to without like filtering your inputs through a million and one interfaces or buttons or you know actions it's it's press up yeah you're right and there's so little on screen to obscure the experience the time of day is so important to this game danger comes at night you only have so long to ride back and forth across your kingdom that you're expanding um, and the position of the sun and moon inform you of that. Um, you know, a moon, uh, the uh, a hooting of an owl begins the the uh, the the rise of night, and a ding of a bell uh, signals the day. But other than that, it's just it's just those sort of celestial bodies that guide your way. And the world is incredibly dangerous for you. You can't defend yourself against enemies other than uh, running away, and you have to rely on your often hilariously incapable archers to eventually hit their targets. Um, so that makes every second that Recru you're... recruited directly from the Death Star. Exactly. Every second that you're exploring beyond your wall is very dangerous. And as, as pretty as this game looks in stills, and if you, you were to Google it right now, you'd see some pretty good looking, you know, pixels in their stills. But when the game is in motion, that's when you really get the beauty of of this game, and I feel like, uh, boy, I I don't want to come across the right the wrong way. As I started to play this game, I'm like, oh, this is a game for the ladies. You know what I mean? Because I'm a princess. <laughs> okay. I got I got a beautiful horse. You know, and there's the music is like whimsical and fun, and I'm like, 
this is something that my my girlfriend would play now it's it's got a lot of grit in there there's um you know some strategy and how you build out your stuff and really it's a game for everyone so I'd, i want to be inclusive in this but you know that's something that i really i really got i really got from it andy do, do you like pretty games Dude, I love pretty games. Uh, the prettier, the better. And I get what you're saying. Um, any game that is girlfriend friendly or wife friendly for me is a big old thumbs up. Because either if it's two player, that's like one that goes on my special list when I'm looking for some video game time that's non-solo and involves my partner. Uh, and two, um, even if she doesn't want to play, she can at least perhaps be coaxed into watching me play. Right. So right. This, this is hitting, this is hitting a, this is hitting on a very, a list that's very special to my heart. That's right. Um, yeah. So we're sure. cut from the same cloth on this. And what you'll notice about this, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit. The enemies want your money, not your life. So, oh. you know, as they hit you, it's very Sonic the Hedgehog in the sense that you start raining coins, um, which is your currency to do everything in the game. And as you proceed, uh, if your guys get hit by the enemies, they're not killed. Rather, they're taken out of your service, and oh. your uh, and your uh, delightfully PG. Yeah, right. And they're sent on their way. They go back to sort of migrant waifs, um, you know, without without a queen. And I got to tell you. Um, this is one of those games that took a lot to figure it out and it was sort of glorious as your kingdom expands you got to make sure there's still hunting grounds for your archers um your guys cut down the forest as as your sort of defenses expand and you have to make sure that you have enough fields that your farmers can gain money from and you're upgrading units there's a lot of little things in this and if you die it's permadeath you start over and these games can go two hours in length um before they wow. they hit the wall um so it's like it's almost it's like um I, I don't know if roguelike is the right word but you're you're building towards an end and if it if it goes off the rails you're it's game over start from the beginning kind of thing you got it and you know when you're successful it's very exciting but i find that and this is one of my main criticisms is in the late game, kingdom starts to drag. Galloping from one side to the other can basically take an entire day, and that's not very right. fun. And when there's so much going on, I start finding myself kind of not loving the sparse interface. You know, I want to know how many dudes I have as soldiers or as builders or as farmers, who who's unemployed, you know, and doing a manual headcount can be an entire day's endeavor, um, you know, when you have lots of other important things to do. And I think there would be a way to do that without spoiling the flow of the game, um, you know, right. and, and you find yourself getting into a maintenance mode that I, for me, wasn't as fun, um, you know. So a after about... A two-day uh, gameplay. I really got the ropes, and and winning became something that I could sort of um, count on, especially if I have the right random resources and I don't get hit by a blood moon too early. Um, you know, that said, uh, Kingdom is you know mysterious and challenging and fun, um, and I would recommend it for anybody who wants sort of a light and. Um, easy to access game you just hop right in and i think it's i think it's pretty cheap i think it's you know under the ten dollar mark on the on the steam store i bought it a while ago so i'm not oh, delightful sure. indie title brought yeah, to you by exactly. the queen yeah so yeah, you know if, nice. if you're into this type of minimal minimalist design hop right in there it's worth it and is this stoner friendly yes but the knights are going to get a little bit spooky is it beginner friendly yes and no 
it's going to tell you nothing, but that's, that's, I think it's how it's set up. The charm is in not knowing. And that's why I've been very right. scant. You know, uh, Dank Dan likes to explain every facet of a game, perhaps too much. And uh, I've gone ahead and skipped that because I don't want to rob you of the glory of, uh, of what Kingdom is. Yeah, no, it sounds really neat to me. I love the idea of games like this because it's like what you said earlier. They're games that focus on doing, and again, I haven't played, so I can't say definitively, but they're, they're games that focus on doing one thing really well. And I find again, I find myself more and more inclined in that direction uh, at least a good chunk of the time when I'm looking to play a video game in that, you know, it's a game, it's almost like, you know, some puzzle games, right? Um Skipping ahead a little bit, Luminez Remastered released on uh, on Switch, on Xbox One, on PS4, on PC. Um, oh, actually, sorry, it's 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 releasing tomorrow. But I played the original Luminez, and there's something about jumping in that game and knowing you're getting two things: you're getting one, an incrementally more and more difficult puzzle game that's going to challenge you by increasing the speed, by increasing the difficulty, but by and large is going to be the same thing. You're lining up blocks, and number two, you're going to get some kick-ass music, man. And that's what you're going to experience. You're going to experience crazy, incrementally difficult puzzles and freaking sweet music. And, you know, games that that have a really strong element of what it is exactly you're doing, for me, they just become more and more appealing as time goes on and as my time becomes more limited to play. So, yeah, this one sounds this one sounds good. Is it a, is it a thumbs up? Is it a pick it Matt, up for sure? Andy, before we move on, let's make a top 10 list of games that are beautiful and simple. I'm just kidding. Let's not do anything of the kind. Let's uh, not do no, that at it's, all. It's a thumbs up. Give give it a shot. I mean, if uh, base building uh, is interesting to you or you like the medieval setting or you like pixely games or you're an indie title game, this this one's a must play. Hop in. And yeah. I think there's actually a Dia, an expansion, um, something like Kingdom, Kingdoms Beyond or something. I, I forget what it's called. But so there's there's more to be told to the story uh, should you reach the end of, of the first adventure. So can I ask, does Her Highness want to enjoy a smoke sesh? Ah, oh, she doth not protest. Too. What? <laughs> what was that? <laughs> that was, I don't know, I felt like a toucan. Let's move over. Bong 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 Danny Dan that's me Welcome to the I'm Smoke Dan. Sash here friends oh, where finally. Dan and I are gonna oh, yeah finally indeed uh, after postulating on uh, on on many merits of old games old school and indie uh, we find ourselves ready to chow down on some Chiba am I a right thick cloud of glorious <clears throat> greenery yeah, man. I mean, this feels, it's so funny because like it, if it's, I, I anticipated that this episode would feel like any other, but just on the back of E3, it feels like, uh, it feels like coming home and sitting in the clubhouse as opposed to, you know, sitting down and trying to report the hard news. Maybe that's, maybe that's exposing just a little bit too much of our, uh, of our amateur ganjo, ganjo, ganjo journalism. That's the smartest <laughs> thing you've ever said. And I feel like it was by accident. accidentally. 
And that's yeah, okay. Yeah, it was 100% by accident. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's nice, man. It's nice. It's a nice, it's a nice tone. Um, I'm excited to get uh, get into this smoke sesh. Pick up any sweet strains over the past week there, friend? I'm working with a known list, and I'm working my way down. Uh, I'm right about to hit a new order window, but right now I'm just sort of getting to the, the short strokes of what I currently have. And it's been quite a ride. I've enjoyed, I think, almost everything I've gotten, and that's... That's a good place to be, you know what I mean? Yeah, you ordered like you ordered like five strains last time, right? Yeah, I did. I got I got a whole bunch. I I went for a smaller batch so I could get a a nice um, wide selection and I did it for you folks, the listeners, the good people, the people all fighting for the good fight. All for them. It's all for them and uh, you know, I I've, I've enjoyed everything. It's been pretty grand. Yeah, well, Broken Coast will do that to you. What are you smoking on today, Danny boy? I have a sweet, sweet sour OG. And I got to tell you, I'm not sure if we've I've already uh, reviewed this bomb weed. Um, but if I haven't, uh, strap in because we're going there. That's all right, man. Sour OG is one that deserves repeating. I'm dealing with a little lemon skunk today which I'm kind of excited about. Uh, you know, I've done a lot of lemon strains. I feel like I've done lemon haze, super lemon haze, Sa- uh, golden lemons. Um, I think that's three so far. I'm not sure. Have I done lemon skunk before? I don't know. And what's weird is there's a cloudy area. <laughs> there's a cloudy area around the memory of these things. Right. For some reason, I can't put it down <laughs> to some, one thing or another. For some reason, I can't quite remember what strains we've uh, we reviewed. But that's okay, man. We're, we're going to jump back in on this. My... Um, Pardon me, my, what am I reviewing again today? Oh, right, yes. Where am I? What's my name? <laughs> what is the year? Pre-smoke. What is the year, friend? Pre-smoke. Uh, yeah, my, um, my lemon skunk is uh, actually pre-ground. Oh, beautiful. I received it from, yeah, and you know what? Unfortunately, that means that I don't get an opportunity to examine the bud in all of its glory. But let's take a, let's take a, good, a good look here. Um, this lemon skunk well, first of all, off the hop, obviously there's that citrus note in there, but this is a more savory lemon uh, lemon strain. It's almost like, okay, so this is going to sound bad, but it feels like I'm inhaling one part lemon and one part chicken bouillon cube. <laughs> That's a chicken bouillon cube? A chicken bouillon cube. Uh, it's, it's got- Bouillon? Yeah. What is this word you're saying? Bouillon. Bouillon. This is, this Isn't is, it uh, bouillon? Bullion, like gold. Bu- no, no, it's a French word. Bouillon. Oh bouillon. shit! I'm way out of I'm way out of fucking the zone. All right, keep going. Yeah, well, I mean, so it's it's strange because I feel like I'm about to put together like a real dank chicken noodle soup, <laughs> but um, the smell is actually quite pleasant. It's got you know, it's got an, some earthy tones in there. Uh, obviously, the lemon, um, and I guess that's like a savory note. It's it's like a salty, savory note in there that I'm really kind of vibing on right now. Feel, you know why, dude? We're talking about comfort food. We're talking about cozying down, and this is a cozy strain. Let me tell you, I'm ready to ready to cuddle up with this uh, this fellow right here. Annie, are are you gonna roll a left-handed cigarette with this or what? A left-handed cigarette. I'm, I'm not following your... This, not following this is another your, name for a joint. A left-handed cigarette. <laughs> I haven't heard that one before. It sounds like I, something your uncle somebody, says. Somebody said that to me last week, and, it, and I was like, that's, that's pretty good. That's on the sly. So I'm going to throw a curveball on this, and it, and it comes with a question um, that I want to ask you. It's, when do you sprinkle your bowl with Keef? When do you do the Keef thing? Oh, buddy, that's when you got nowhere to go. Like... And, and certainly, you don't have a podcast to do uh, on Andreas. 
my man. You know, <laughs> let me just underline that uh, three times. Uh, but I mean, it's when you want to get a little bit saucy. Um, I think you also do that when you're running short on your supply. I mean, yeah, maybe. And you know, this this golden skunk deserves to be enjoyed on its on its lonesome. But I view Keith as like the special occasion. It, it's the nuts on your hot fudge sundae. You know, it's the nuts, all it's, right. It's the it's the sprinkly little topping that makes for a special time, Um, and you know I recently did a little uh, little Instagram shoot with um, with Halo's protagonist, Master Keef. And I'm good. I'm feeling it. I'm fe- pretty good, right? Pretty good. I'm feeling in a Keef kind of vibe. So I'm, I got a little. I got a little sprinkle from the bottom of my grinder. To be fair, though, this is my uh, this is my sativa grinder. Okay. So um, I don't know. I actually Andy, don't know if, if you golden, get bouldered if, um, by this, and we got to scuttle yes. the podcast. You owe me a dollar. Okay. Okay. All I, right. No problem. Okay. I actually don't know if uh, if lemon skunk is a hybrid, more hybrid indica or sativa. Anyway, we got a little sativa on the on the keef, and uh, and lemon skunk underneath. Ooh, I like what you did there. So, yeah, Andy, um, do you want to roll the dice on this, and I'll I'll, I'll read about lemon skunk uh, as uh, yeah, please do our fair friend uh, brought to us by Leafly and Jeremy Irons. Jeremy. What is lemon skunk? Lemon skunk was conceived from two separate skunk phenotypes that displayed exceptionality and zesty lemon traits. The skunky citrus flavor draws you immediately, and the happy, energetic buzz will shake you out of any funk. DNA Genetics has developed lemon skunk as a great strain for combating depression Ooh. and stress. Mm, that is tasty. Whew. I'm not sure if it's the keef that was on top, but the, the, um, the burning of this bowl, the conflagration, if you will, ooh, is, uh, is perfect. The way it's burning down is like, I don't know if I've ever had a more perfectly burning bowl. Let me get into this again. Let me read what MZ PhD in 420 says. He says, if you've read my other reviews, then you know that my experience, but for this review, I am only reviewing a strain I've sampled. Lemon Skunk by DNA Gen- Genetics from a local delivery service in Ann Arbor. Get to the point, buddy. This strain Ann is Arbor. amazing in its appearance, smell, and effects. Its name is a little off, as there's definitely a large percentage of limonene for the lemon in the name, but there wasn't any skunk to it. Andy, are you getting any skunk, buddy? Um, maybe that's that bouillon cube situation I got going on. You know, it's I don't know that it's skunky. I, it feels savory on my tongue. Like, that skunkiness um, hits me more on a bitter note, and this hits me more on a salty note, you mm. know? So I, I, I'm sticking by it on my palate. I've got almost no lemon, which is strange mm. for a lemon strain. Mm. Shocker. But uh, <laughs> did somebody but do yeah, the old switcheroo on you? Or maybe that's no. the, you did keef it up. So you're kind, of, it up. you're kind of getting a little bit of everything, aren't you? I'm, I'm keeping it real, you know, keeping it real. I don't know. Very little limonene on the, on the tongue there. Lots of chicken noodle soup. This is the chicken noodle soup strain. I'm putting it on there. Right, right on down. I love it. Also settling in very quickly. 
I'm just <laughs> melting, melting in a in a hot bowl of dump, like a Hold dumpling together. dropped in. Clench those, <laughs> clench those glutes, buddy. Hold it together. Holding it down. Why don't you go ahead and sour OG it down? Let us know about your nug, friend. Um, we got thick dark hairs on this guy. Um, tightly packed buds. Um, very. You could say the same about my chest and your buttocks, and uh, very very tight colas. In fact, I got. A couple of colas sort of wandering off the main guy here. Yeah, it's a, it's a mix of brown and dark green. Uh, fudgy, as you like to say, buddy. Um, thick thick Ooh. with a, a mild to moderate amount of, of crystallis on this fella. And uh, the underside of the, even the bud is, is coated um, pretty evenly. Not, not an overabundance, but an even one. Boy, this, this guy lets you know right away um, you're dealing with some diesel. A lot of diesel, diesel and earth, with a little bit of um, like a sour backbone, which I interpret as like a kind of a sour citrus. And um, I have an, uh, I have a a, a um, inkling that this thing's going to be a little bit heavy-handed with me. Um, it's right. going to tell me where I'm going. So let me just free my uh, grindier of any other components any other roughage and then we'll get down to business i'm sorry normally i get a grind down normally i pre-grind this puppy that's all right um but as i'm doing my operation here do you want to uh uh, take a little look at the old uh, leafly descripto i will i will indeed um what are you smoking out of today danny the old standard, buddy. The old standard. The old pink bong. Eh? The, old, the old pink fella. <laughs> that delightful pink tubing. One cresting my, the uh, the service of your apparatus. One of my buddies promised me a new rig. I just, it hasn't apparated. Well, you know, sometimes you got to show up to blow up. You know what I'm oh, saying? you got me there, buddy. I can't. No arguments. And you know why? Because it rhymes. And you can never argue with a rhyme. You can you cannot argue with a rhyme. If Mother Goose taught me anything, it's that. Um, what did Mother so Goose to, teach you? As you're as you're getting your sour OG going on there, I gotta say the the um, lemon skunk mm-hmm. is a beautiful settle in. Mm. So it's not uh, an overly cerebral um, experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, very feels very body mellow, very body high, um, and also extremely relaxing. Which it, was this a was this a sativa or, or an indica or is it a hybrid? Like what, what was it? Um, so it talks a lot about. Um, the experience, but not the lineage. Um, but if you uh-huh. do look at it, we're talking happy, uplifted, euphoric, energetic, and relaxed. So, buddy, you're you're right on the money. Right in there. Um, is it not? Does Leafly not say indica or sativa? It typically does, but it also yeah. says that you're in the neighborhood for some dry mouth. Oh boy, so that's get, that's problematic. Get that H two O at the skunk. ready. Is this an uh sativa heavy hybrid there you go it is a sativa heavy hybrid i gotta be honest with you maybe it's just the alertness that it's got going on it does have um a little bit of a euphoric kick but i gotta be honest like i'm not getting a lot of energy out of it um oh actually you know what i'm on all bud right now and this is a pretty this is a pretty distinct pretty apt uh description of it it's it's an uplifting yet lazy experience (laughs) That's true. That's exactly what this is. An uplifting and lazy experience. Oh, all righty. You got that sour G loaded up? 
You can see it on oh, camera, you. you slick you can see bitch. It on camera, so slick, man, there so slick. Let's see that. Let's see slick that old, good old fashioned bond slick. rip. Sour slick OG is a 50-50 hybrid strain that is a real favorite among those who love a balanced sativa indica buzz. As a cross of two of the most popular and widely available strains in the world, aka Sour Diesel and OG Kush, Sour OG has been available in clone and seed form for quite some time. Most samples express dense, <coughs> round OG Kush type buds laden with large, <coughs> sticky crackombs. The odor and taste are usually an equal <coughs> mix of both parents with sour lemon, pine, fuel, and a distinct cushy undertone, although some versions have a more fruity profile. Often described as a one-hit-quit strain, Sour OG starts with an energetic head high that gradually gives way to a relaxing body stone. Sounds like uh, we better get this podcast wrapped up real soon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a deep lung hit there it's it's really got some feet in the bottom of my lungs uh it's probably that diesel that's really coming to bear um heavy uh, heavy in the back of the throat but not irritating um right i I have a sneaking suspicion if the grow was messed up here this would be a real rough strain um and uh maybe be harsh but uh, because i've had experiences on that side of things but this one's being real gentle gentle on me real genty Yep, gently for my Bentley. Gently in your Bentley. Uh, the word says, this is a wonderful medicine for anxiety. Sour OG hits instantly and provides an extremely social, positive, uplifting high. One of my favorite medicines for anxiety relief, stress relief, and is great for social gatherings. Sounds like the ultimate podcasting weed. Yeah, maybe, maybe we'll, see, uh, we'll see some of that downcast. Yeah, well, hopefully. Hopefully. Um... So, dude, I, I want to just I want to top up if, if we if I may, I want to top up the list of games to be released or having been released in June. I got to be honest with you. It is a pretty it is pretty slim pickings this month. Going back over, we've seen what uh, da, 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 not much Sushi Striker, which I saw a dude picking up at the um, the EB games the other day. Have you heard anything about Sushi Striker? Can't say that I have. It, it so I, I I don't normally Google on the cast, but I'm I'm quite curious about what this game is actually about. It's a Nintendo Switch game, um, exclusively released on the Switch, and it is da, 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 devour conveyor belt sushi, matching plates and sushi types to defeat any enemy or boss who stands between you and victory. It's a deliciously action RPG strategic puzzle battle. So cool. this is one of those right. things where they take a puzzle matching. A mechanic and give you like an RPG story with it, a little bit like um, what is it called, Knights of the the Table, or it's like uh, I'm not fa- I'm not familiar with that title, but this it, this looks delightfully cutesy. Yeah, as with any title that you has sure sushi it's not involved. a dark gritty reboot of of Sushi Striker, the original. Oh, <laughs> dark gritty reboot with permadeath and uh, no save points. Yeah, it's I think that's exactly what it is. I think so. You know, I got to be honest, this is a pretty steep. Price point. This is a full priced game, um, forty nine ninety nine American, probably fifty nine ninety nine Canadian. Get out of here! Is, for a puzzle RPG game, it just it feels like feels a little strange for this to be so uh, so expensive. Andy, Two players, I guarantee simultaneous. you no more than fifteen hours of gameplay. I guarantee. You. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. It maybe maybe it's uh, maybe it's a sweet. Like I'm heavily speculating, right? But you, this feels like a <laughs> Nintendo developer reach. They're like, this is a game. I swear this yeah. is a game. 
And you, I mean, yeah, yeah. And you look at they want to set a price point to not devalue the other games or make you wonder because if they drop the price of one game, then maybe we are open season on looking at all what all the games are quote unquote worth. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, I feel you. I mean, like for me, anytime I see a puzzle game. And it's gonna be it's gonna bite me in the ass here in a minute because Luminez, like I said, is releasing. I guess tomorrow. Andy, do you get a dollar every flies. time you mention Luminez? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it. It's Luminez crazy. hit me up for that paycheck. Um, but you know, anytime I'm I'm bumping up against a puzzle game, it almost feels like the platform for puzzle games today is iOS. And you know, crucify me for being you know a stodgy jerk about it. I'm glad you but gave me permission. Idea, here I go. Hold on, nope, nails. Just wait for one second. Let me get the cross here. And the, you said crucify you, right? <laughs> Andy, can you help me out here? Can you just get me, give uh, me a nice, give me the nice tea? Pretend you're gonna hug I'm me. Too good a mood to be crucified today, Dan. <laughs> or maybe, maybe tomorrow. Maybe you want to be crucified when you're in a good mood, so you can like put a good spin on it. A good crucifixion. You're like, listen. A, a I feel like one. you're being really negative about this in progress crucifixion and i feel like really if you looked at it a different way maybe this is just another experience you really nailed it thank you i'm glad that you let me set you up like that thank you pal appreciate it. just on a quick lob a little grapefruit over the plate um sushi striker I, actually a game that i kind of really want to try um Gross. and you know maybe come on take it down you, you know what andy more no it's good life. now i know what to get you too much god of war now i know what to get here. you for canada day i can get you sushi striker i feel like i'm being set up for something here uh, just, a delightful, I, just a I, delightful I, gift from a close friend Am I missing you something? on Canada Day? Am I missing something about about where you buy me a gift on Canada Day? Are you searching like my kindness for an entendre, a hitch, uh, a tr like a trap, a pitfall? <laughs> this I'm really scared about the it's connotation. You, here. you act like I've just like walked you up to a precipice blindfold. Canada Day. <laughs> I'm gonna Andy, buy you. Do, a do you know? I'm gonna uh, buy you. A, dude, that's something that a serial killer says. You know, someone that someone who like you went to high school with yeah. was always a little off. Right. And then you meet them one time in public, and they go to you. I'm gonna buy you something on Canada Day. And then and you, you remember, think to yourself, this is this is the setup for me getting chopped into many pieces and rearranged in the uh, in the spitting image of a Canadian flag. And then you remember, like you bought a JanSport backpack in grade nine, and then he saw you, and you bought the same backpack, and you thought to yourself, "Someday this guy's gonna try and wear my skin like a suit, <laughs> so, like a zoot suit, like a skin <laughs> zoot suit." Andy, if you were a suit, what kind of suit would you be? Um, I would be. I wanted to say zoot suit, but we'll just we'll just settle on a strong, stern Hugo Boss. Nice, nice. Right to the point. Let's you know. I'm I gotta, asserting dominance. Just, I got to skip so the other aware. suit jokes we've made in earlier podcasts. No, suit I, yourself. I think I'd be um, a, I, not, sir, I think I'd be a wetsuit. I think I'd be a wetsuit. <laughs> wetsuit. I don't, <clears throat> I don't want to know what that says about your, your, um, your physical state right now. So Ooh. just to finish that thought, because I think it's important that we acknowledge it. You know, Canada Day, you give a gift because it's the day that you celebrate where Canada did that great thing. It's not a thing. I've never received a Canada Day gift. Yeah, but I mean, you, we have to celebrate that great thing Canada did. What was that again? You, I am so far out in the woods, friend. I, I don't even I know think if it's, there's I a think cabin. it's when we got we first got a, a, a beaver and a moose to successfully mate. I think that that was just an important accomplishment for us. I'm glad we celebrate that every Canada this Day. This is why I didn't go to Sunday school, because they taught all sorts of nonsense. Um, Mario Tennis Aces released. Uh, released. 
Re-leached. Andy, I, I, I pitched you a joke, like an open platform to make a joke about what the funny thing that Canada Day did on Canada Day to be referred to be Canada Day. And you just abandoned ship. And I feel like there's so many good goofs in that gold mine I set up for you. And I'm offended as a Canadian that you didn't take them down as a patriotic measure. Oh, you were opening. I see. I thought you had the punchline in mind. I, I like, did. For well, me, I, I could have gone poutine. Yeah. I could have gone Tim Hortons. So, but the great thing Canada did was syrup. Canada, what, invented poutine? Is that what we're celebrating? I think so. It's probably the best thing about being Canadian. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Glad we, uh, glad we smashed through those, those 17 doors. I in, think the uh, ability in, to... In Roadrunner style. I think the ability to punch straight through the ice on a lake and pull out a fish every time. Uh, when we learned how to do that, that's certainly what we're celebrating today. I feel I feel you. May I continue with Mario Tennis Aces? Without any further ado. <laughs> so Mario Tennis Aces came out. I so okay, bad game player, maybe I am. But I was not aware that there had been a Mario Tennis game since the N sixty four title that rocked my world as a young man. Are were you in the same boat as me? Did you did you jump on the N sixty four bandwagon for Mario Tennis? You know what? When you have to pick a game not to buy, I feel like tennis is always a good bet. Oh, back off. No, not 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 a good one because Mario Tennis for the N64, if you missed that title, I pity you. It was exceptional. Um, and Mario Tennis Aces apparently is the game that comes closest to recreating that experience. Allegedly, there's some strange game modes uh, that have been rolled out um, and aren't necessarily fun to play. Like, they can be frustrating. I don't really know the details. Something to do with having to beat uh, through the campaign or the storyline. Story You're uh, trying to overcome a magical tennis racket that has kidnapped Wario, Luigi, and Waluigi. Some, it's all very strange. But by and large, this is a game that I will almost certainly pick up. I don't know if it has online play, though, because that'll probably make it for me. If I can play this online, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm kind of set. Otherwise, not so sure. Mario Tennis is a pass for you, I imagine? You know, when there's games, lots of games not to buy, Mario Tennis is probably the one that I'll, I'll, I'll opt out of. And it's one that's good that, to play with a friend. So you, you let your friend buy Mario Tennis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fair point. Um, what else came out? Crash Bandicoot Insane Tril Trilogy is coming out in a few days. That's that's kind of neat. I'd be open to uh, to throwing the Crash Crash Bandicoot on uh, Switch, also available on Xbox One. And um, yeah, that looks like about it. June's been a pretty lean month, my dude. A pretty lean uh, month. But I understand that Mega Man X is making its way to Switch soon. I don't know if that's next month or the following, but I'm tickled about it. Yeah, Mega Man X. Um is pretty cool to come to the Switch. I think it's a good handheld title. Yeah, yeah. So speaking of, uh, nope, got no transition there. But Dan, let me ask you something. You're a ballsy man. Are you ballsy, Dan? You a ballsy fella? I've been known to toss a ball or two. You've been known to balls around. Um, Mary Jane reports on a, a fascinating story of a gentleman who sparked a joint mid-flight in the air. And, you know, I read this story, I, I thought to myself, you know, ridiculous, what a doofus, they had to, they had to land the plane, you know, he's, he's messing up a more than a couple people's days uh, doing that, not to mention putting himself in the position to be promptly smoked by the law. Um, but thinking about it for more than one second, smoking on an airplane, smoking a joint or a blunt in an airplane bathroom, or maybe even just in your seat, because wouldn't that just be more badass? 
Is that a life goal, Dan? I feel like it's a life goal. Andy, you know, when you first asked me that question, I said, no, absolutely not. The airplane, the, the air in an airplane is recycled. You don't know if somebody's allergic to nicotine. You know, you're, you're distributing it about the nicotine. cabin. Well, it, no matter what you're smoking, right? What I'm saying is then I looked at it the other way and I said, that is a life goal, but I have to be one of the only two people on that plane. Right. Yeah, not the pilot. <laughs> Definitely not the pilot. Um, I don't think a groovy ride through, uh, you know, American airspace is ever a good idea. But uh, I got to agree with you. I think it's private plane material. I want a private plane just for the privilege of being able to smoke a big old joint in the cabin. You know, you're in the right plane if the seats aren't faced forward, they're faced swivel in every direction. You're like, okay, I've, this is where I parked my car for sure. You're in the right space. You're in the right space. Um, Epic. Epic and Fortnite uh, is... Beep bop, bibbidi boop. Let me restart that sentence. Epic's Fortnite is probably, I would venture a guess, the most talked about, the most viewed game on planet Earth right now. Um, and they actually just recently came out with a statement, I'm reading on Kotaku here, that they're reevaluating the way the end game happens. So uh, I think we can safely say you and I haven't made it to too many end games in Fortnite, correct? You'd be, you'd be right. I think the closest I've gotten is a stern seven. <laughs> seven, got you. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've played a decent amount of Fortnite, and actually I fired it up on Switch when it came out on the platform a couple weeks ago, which is awesome. I just have to say, Fortnite now being a highly mobile phenomenon, both on mobile phones as well as on the Switch platform, um, it, it feels like it's the first example of a game that can be played on the go that I'm legitimately excited about. And, you know, with Fortnite, um, I know that it's easily digestible. It's fun to jump into. You can play a game in under 30 minutes. You don't need to be excellent to participate in a meaningful way. But getting down to the nitty gritty, especially when you're watching a Twitch stream, uh, is often a function of um, building stuff, right? So, you know, it, as you get towards the end of almost every Fortnite match that I've ever watched, a lot of the strategy comes down to, you know, where can you place barricades? What kind of fortress are you building yourself? Are you on the offensive or the defensive? Uh, and apparently Epic believes that there's not enough variety in late game strategies. Um, they're, they're quoting it as, uh, just build LOL as the, as the current end game strategy that's, um, in their opinion, overused. So I think that they're thinking of reducing some of the resources, uh, like for example, lowering the resource cap so you can't hoard quite as many and build a super base at the end of the, uh, of the game. Um, and yeah, I mean, uh, streamers are understandably on both sides of the law. Some people don't like uh, don't like change, and other people are interested in seeing the uh, the advantages they can press out of it. But what about you, man? I mean, it kind of brings to bear the the really unique part about Fortnite, which is the base building part. And I don't often think about that because, well, I don't often make it to the end cuts. But the base building part genuinely is is outside of the accessibility and the way the controls feel the defining factor here did, did you warm to the building dan did you was it something that you liked about this game it, it's interesting you say because like you at the beginning you don't you're not thinking about building a base you're thinking about getting a gun making a couple early kills and you know whatever materials you snap up on the way maybe those come into hand you're into hand later but you got more pressing matters you know the vibe i'm talking about 
Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I I don't. I still actually don't really know. Like, I know how to build stuff. I just don't ever do it or position it in a way unless I want to get to the top of a house quickly to try and loot some shit. You know? Yeah, you're you're building as needed. Uh, right. And and it, I've seen the way this gets executed. And it's like the game suddenly changes. You're like, what is he doing? Oh, he's building a room every time he jumps. By when he jumps, building stairs under him, then hitting four walls so fast it's blinding, and he builds a yeah. tower way up because you're either building a tower with another guy to see the farthest, which is an advantage in the game, or somebody's coming at your giant tower that you can shoot them from. So I mean, as a strategy, not the worst. Right. But the game supposes like, what if you couldn't build an 80-story tower out of your pocket? What if we changed the <laughs> tempo of the gameplay and said, like? What if we what if we change the way the beat pattern of this game goes? And I you know I get the people that are saying, don't don't change my game because I like my game, uh, you know. And I have to be on Epic's side about this. Every, when everybody's running to where you're at, both as a game, this game, and as a studio, because as we know, everybody's getting in the battle royale game. You just make sure you're not there when they get there. You're going to be at the next place. Do you know what I mean? So you're not in the middle of somebody eating your lunch while everybody else does your gameplay. Yours is evolving. If you want to do that, you can go somewhere else, but they're going to the next place. I like Epic's ability to take chances, putting things like Thanos in the game and bringing a meteor down. They're not a studio that's holding place. They're in full sprint, and I like that about them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, you know, I think they subscribe to the Blizzard school, Blizzard, the Blizzard school of thought, the Blizzard school. Sean Connery's uh, the, birthday. I'm glad you're honoring him. Blizzard school. Yeah. Lovely yeah, um, Blizzard. Betty, I don't Blizzard have a jacket. Uh, the Blizzard school of thought, which is fun first. Um, and, you know, this is a, this is a game that has a similarly Blizzard aesthetic. It's wacky. It's, uh, you know, and that's obviously really worked for it. Um, yeah, I feel like they've been blazing a trail since the very beginning, minus the fact where they, you know, uh, copied PUBG. But, um, you know, who's being a real dong about Fortnite right now, though, is PUBG? Sony. Bad, no. <laughs> Player Bad unknown. Sony, oh. Player Unknown, is, is really... I, I what what can we say that hasn't been covered literally everywhere? They're not playing the idea, nice. They're not, they're not playing, playing nice. nice. So so Sony, if you have been living under a rock, has restricted the ability for you to play on your Epic account on any other platform if you've linked your Epic account to a Sony profile on a Sony machine. So oh no, my stats. Yeah, my well, six stats in your cosmetics, your cosmetics too, right? Like, I mean, people, the way this game monetizes is people buy cosmetics because it's a not a randomized loot box shenanigan. You can buy with the cosmetics you want, and b it's you know it's it's an easily justifiable price tag when you're playing an exceptionally good free game. And Sony has said, uh, well, they haven't said much. They've done everything, just utterly cock blocked everyone from playing on other systems. Um, to me, it's like okay, if you don't want your pool of whatever 80 million players to be playing with the xbox folks or the switch folks fine and dandy like it sucks but whatever i'm not going to bat an eyelid the idea that you would restrict another company's ip from being accessible in your iteration on someone else's console is just like that's medieval man (laughs) there's something wrong there what's blinding is the fact that you know, we don't think of these these goods as as tradable, but I guess they are. I guess you could you could have your account 
and sell that account with all your your custom and they're like we're not letting people move any currency out of us the top dog because that's how sony is thinking about themselves in this thing they go we're winning the console war why do we want to put a leg up to our competitors and they're just not willing to breach that line like they've been consistent on that where they're like you know these this is where we don't let you we don't you know let play with others we take our balls and we go home yeah, yeah, really, really strange. Just strange behavior. Anyway, I mean, I can't see Sony holding out on this forever. Maybe they will, but it feels to me like this is just one cut above what's reasonable in terms of restricting a game that's available across all platforms from being played on that platform if they played with you first. That's, yeah, that's like, it, yeah. I, I don't I don't see that being something that can play out much longer. Dude, um, as long as they're on the top... It, they will do, do it until it hurts them financially enough that they can't, like, it'll knock them down too far. And they just feel like they're way too far ahead. They're not, they're not looking, they're not looking back. They're not looking back. Well, we can agree to disagree on that one. Um, I don't know what the bet would be. How about a crispy crunch bar? It's, it, it's funny because PC in a lot of ways beat, uh, was beat to as a cross platform thing by Microsoft. They're they're doing this triple cl- cross platforms across all their stuff now, and Sony's been kind of left in the dust a little bit because they don't have that PC presence. They got to watch right. themselves. They got to watch themselves. Gotcha. They're kind of they're doing things like the Vita Link, like you were saying, um, you know, and you can stream stuff between. I think on a PC setup to a to a a, a Sony rig, but it's they've sort of been uh, edged out. Uh, by positioning by uh, Microsoft on that one. Yeah, I'm not sure, but I, I cabron, <laughs> arriba, <laughs> all the way there. Hey, uh, Andy, um, yeah. when it comes to Fortnite, um, is this is this still your battle royale go to? For sure, man. I can't. I don't have a gaming PC. We've established that I'm a Mac guy, and I don't have an Xbox. So Fortnite is all the way. Um, you know, listen. I'm interested in playing PUBG. Uh, I'm interested in picking it up someday, if not just to try it. But the accessibility of Fortnite, even just mentally, just from a graphics perspective, because they're functionally the same game, it just feels easier to soak into Fortnite than PUBG. PUBG feels like a more serious, gotta get grounded and get in affair. Feels more tactical. Uh, yeah, it just does. It just does. It feels less, I, I don't know, whether it's the graphics or the gameplay, um, feels less wacky than Fortnite. And I think like, apparently much of the world agrees. Um, Leafly came out with an article uh, based on Leafly reviews that tell the best strains for hiking, camping, and backpacking. And I thought this would be cool to take a peek at, given that uh, we're on the cusp of some, well, I guess we're, we're like right into summer, aren't we? Summer's a thing. It's two here. Days, two days in, buddy. Right in the middle. That's it. Now, it's challenging because (laughs) (laughs) we're in a summer sandwich at the moment. It's challenging because it's literally just a listing of of strains here. Um, But I want to pick out I want to pick out a couple perhaps that we've even um, even experimented with in the past. Critical mass is showing up on this list. Um, Dr. Strange says, threw a small amount into a clean glass piece. Three lungfuls later, I knew this was something special. Taking this on a one-week backpacking trip for Fireside Good Times. I think Fireside Good Times is probably among the top five spots to enjoy a strain. What do you think? Can't go wrong. You got to ask yourself, Andy, acoustic guitar or no acoustic guitar? 100%. I mean, an acoustic guitar is the most annoying thing to bring to the party, but the, the very, the most endearing thing to bring to a campfire. 
you know? Um, and I feel like you're about to listen to someone play Wonderwall. That's a sure. I'd be sure offended bad. if they didn't. Yeah, there's got to be Wonderwall. And then afterwards, you're going to climb into a cold tent uh, set up on the lumpy, uneven ground, um, probably next to a bro who you thought, yeah, we can share a tent before you realized he was both sweaty and flatulent. Mm. Uh, and the fact that you enjoyed some critical mass at Fireside means that mercifully <laughs> you'll be unconscious before you realize any of it happened. Oh, or unconscious because it happened. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the other strains, Blue Dream. Have you had some Blue Dream before, Dan? Yeah, we've we've had a little a little bit of a dream on the the cast. I think uh, early one or two. We it was an early uh, review. Really? Okay, I don't remember. I don't recall. I had some in Vegas the last time I was there, and it quickly became one of my favorite strains. Um, Puffalo says, "Oh, it's a good one." Puffalo, I like it. That's I great. I had three puffs before taking the dog for a nice walk, as one puffalo does. The landscape turned into a Candyland. If you want to experience the Candyland, then Blue Dream will be your pick. What? <laughs> that <laughs> what is that, that went off the camping? rails, Andy. That went off very quick. Puffalo's uh, <clears throat> boy, he's experiencing some from, psychedelic from Buffalo. I don't know that that is uh, that is the kind of experience that I would never attribute to weed. Wow. Um, let me see here. One more. One more. Willie Nelson. I didn't know Willie Nelson was a strain. Huh. Smoking some Willie Nelson on the trail. Oman2525 says, I smoked it right before going hiking with my friend, and the euphoric, relaxing, and joyous feelings that this strain gave me were just the perfect mix to make that hike one of my most memorable hikes. Helped me connect and understand some lingering thoughts that were roaming through my mind at the time. And I got to tell you, I love that. Because cannabis, especially sativa, does two things for me. Number one, it helps make everything physical that I'm doing feel amazing. So I don't know if you can relate, Dan, but before cleaning the house, uh, tackling like some, some yard work or going out for some physical exercise. Um, a sativa, specifically like a green crack or, or something along that vein, will often make that experience feel incredible. Can you, can you relate? Have you, ever, have you ever gone down that path? Yeah, 100%, my man. It's a, a great workout set of strains, you know? You hit some of that, you know, you get a little bit of the indica, but for the most, for that chill out, most of it's just activating the body and, and making that a joyful experience. Yeah, absolutely. And then the second part that I like about what he said is helping me connect and understand some lingering thoughts that were roaming through my mind at the time. And boy, does cannabis ever open up your mind to a second perspective. You know, oh, yeah. it's, it's neat, uh, you know, getting real in the feels here. You know, sometimes you're dealing with something that's, that's something your mind is chewing on all day, a challenge or a stressor or something of that sort. And it's fascinating how um, you know, a little bit of cannabis can help you distance yourself from that scenario and you can look at it so much more objectively. So Oman2525, hats off on that synopsis. I'm feeling that one. Uh, it was uh, our old friend Bob Marley that said that, uh, that marijuana shows a man himself. Oh, I like that. Alrighty. Old Robert yeah. Marley. Groovy. Um, Daniel, have you heard of Summer Games Done Quick? Negative. Okay. So this is a charity speedrunning event that's been streamed on on Twitch. It actually oh, kicked right, right, off. Oh, right, 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 Yes, 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 yes. I this thought you were. This cool. <laughs> I thought you were talking about a fast summer activity. It's like, it's a 10-minute picnic. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, sir. No, sir. Um, it's a it's a Twitch event that actually kicked off yesterday. So by the time this this podcast goes live, we will be well into the week of uh, Summer Games Done Quick. Kicked off on Sunday the 25th and is finishing on July the 1st. Sunday, July the 1st. Um, it benefits Doctors Without Borders. And it's part of the whole speedrunning community. Mm-hmm. And I got to be honest with you, speedrunning isn't something that's really appealed to me previously, but I spent some time watching some of these today. They were uh, the, the streamer specifically was playing a game called Dungeon Magic, which looked rad, by the way. It was like a side-scrolling kind of beat-em-up. Like, sorry, it was like isometric. I don't even know how to describe it. Dungeon Magic. What platform was it for? Dungeon. I think it was SNES, maybe? Mm. Dungeon Magic was, come on, baby. Uh, it was an arcade game by Taito Corporation released for the F3 system, the Taito F3. What in the actual sweet hell is that? Wow. This is a, a whole new world. A whole new world. Taito F3. Uh, 32-bit arcade system board released by Tato Corporation in 1992. Okay, I'm off the rails. Either way, Dungeon Magic is this um, like 3D, not 3D. It's a 2D isometric beat-em-up that I watch this gentleman play with what can only be described as utter mastery, right? And so what happens is just like with any Twitch um, you know, stream, you've got the... Uh, the person who's playing the game, comment- commenting on the game, talking about speedrunning and some of the strategies they use for getting through that game in the quickest way possible. And it's just, it's fascinating because what you're, what you're witnessing, whether it's Dungeon Magic or um, some other games are, are queued up for, for running like Metroid and Final Fantasy VI, when you're watching someone doing a speedrun, this is someone who has mastered the game, knows every corner of it, and has memorized it to a level that they can achieve uh, inputs without almost without even thinking. You know Have what? You spent I, any what time I like about speedruns, Andy. What's that? Um, this is the uh, this is the attraction, right? It's that you're going to see this game played a in a way that you haven't seen it played before because you look at the unique strategies that that these speedrun guys have to put together for like uh, a, a level like I think it's the famous one is four uh, two in super, the original Super Mario. It's the under okay. it's the underground um, level where you have a long jump, a short jump. It's the blue brick level. Then you can either go under an area, or try to go over it. Negotiating that really quick traversal was one of the last things they optimized. They optimized the rest of the level, getting to the, the vine that goes out of the level. But that was one of the last things they did. And they actually invented a jump glitch where when you do the double jump, you duck and jump at the same time, which squeezes you between blocks and gets you to the objective quicker. And like, so they're wow. shaving off like single seconds. Like that people that talk about what's your level, of, I think it's 4-2 time. And they're like, you know, it's 15.5. And that was like the quickest forever. And then they squeeze it down to like 7-6 and they're like ridiculous. We're talking about jumping while you position Mario backwards in that half frame where you can jump Mario backwards using frame skip uh, glitches where you can jump something from the beginning of the page, like because it can only hold four things in memory at any time. Whether it's a Holy pipe shit. out, a pipe, a pipe out, a vine up, um, <laughs> anyways out. So if it's got a dump one, it picks this up. Like, this is like Chinese power. It's, like, it's great. No, some people are loving this, Andy. Let me finish. So it has to okay, use please. that variable. It d- drops it and picks up a new variable, so you can make 
uh, a pipe go to a different place. Something that's uh, another thing that's in memory just by knowing what frame to land it on. It's some some they've dug into the code to such a point. But you had a conversation with friggin' Stan 093 in a Yahoo chat room like 15 years ago. I don't know how to explain this to you, Andy. Shout out to you. This that was that was all for you, buddy. That you know what this (laughs) is. This is like the 42 minute video they talked about the importance of this of this level in the speedrun community. If you came here for the speedrun talk. You're yeah, a high five from across the internet. Yeah, and to be fair, you know, I, I, everything that you're saying tracks. You know, speedrunning is about the minutia of a game, right? So often, I find myself taking a leisurely pace to video games. That's that's my default. I want to settle in and I want to enjoy it in a way that, you know, um, is a de-stressor, is a relaxant, and is something that I can just kind of chew on at a at a leisurely pace. Uh, this is the exact opposite of that, and the speedrunning community to be fair, does something that I really like, which is gets obsessed with one game and, and commits itself to mastering it, you know? Um, you're the whatever. You're the dungeon magic guy. You, you, you've got the fastest speed at dungeon magic. And I think we can agree that there's something appealing about that, right? Yeah, fact. You got some geek cred on that. Um, any interest in speedrunning yourself, Dan? Or? No, it's, it's beyond the kind of psychosis that I... Possess. I have the one that's right before that, where you'll watch a 42-minute discussion on speedrun levels and the importance of this one Mario level, and just be like, "Yeah, more. What program variable? That one. Oh my! Like it's just like I'm like, do go on. Oh boy, you like but that? But hacking like is all about the edge work, Andy. And if you want to, it got to the point where you couldn't just be good at the game; you had to be good at outthinking the framework of the game. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's that's like that's a new that's a different uh, vista. Actually, that's one of your new, new. one of your favorite games was in the, the speed running community news recently uh, regarding Donkey Kong on the sixty four. Oh, yeah, they found a and I don't know what this means banana rainbow coin that was previously not known to be there. It's in grass where you can't see it and you actually have to pound it as you know as DK to get the coin to come out. Is this track oh. with you? Uh, so anyway. No. It reset the community because suddenly, because speedrun means you got all the banana coins, right? So suddenly it invalidates every speedrun. So everybody, all the top guys aren't the top guys anymore. And it's a scramble towards the new time, which is seven seconds longer or whatever, because you have to go do this other thing. Oh, it's, that's so interesting, man. That's so interesting. Um, <laughs> and, it, you know, it, it keeps keeps games alive like long after they release, right? If you've got a game that has uh, enough interest enough of uh enough of well actually i don't even know like what the hell is is uh is dungeon magic on the whatever the heck platform right you don't even need a game community around it just the fact that it exists doesn't matter good game shit game game that like six people played obscure release that only happened in norway all those games are contenders, and in fact, the more obscure, the better, because there's the better. less of a chance that anybody else is going to want to, you know, come up and 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 smack, you know, bellies with you until you've become the undisputed master. I guess speedrunning is the place where all games are equal. This is so true, man. And you know what? I, after giving it so much love, I'm going to say speedrunning is stupid for the same reason that the Olympics is stupid. You're like, I get oh, it. Co- I, just no let me what? let me finish let me just i get it i get it you're all really good at mario you're like oh no but i jumped in backwards i'm like i don't it's not that like i get it you can run fast you're a fast guy you're like but who's the fast i'm like you're all very fast 
<laughs> so, can, sounds like a great sounds like a great basis for uh, for calling the Olympics stupidity. <laughs> dude, well, I mean, like, really, at some point, you know, it's funny. The guy in number one is like, oh, I'm the best. The guy in two, he's like, I did okay. Guy in three in bronze is like, my country isn't ashamed of me. And everybody else goes home. They're all beaten. They're like, my whole life for nothing. I'm like, dude, you're pretty fast. <laughs> <laughs> you're not wrong, buddy. You're not shamefully positive, you're not shamefully slow, have. sir. But in the words of Ricky Bobby, if you're not first, you're last. And can I can I my favorite thing, Andy I know this is this is off track. So you know how um Lance Armstrong got impugned for uh doping in, in the Tour de France? Yes, I do. Right. You know you know the kind of st- uh, environment he's in where they catch him for doping and they test everybody's blood retroactively and do you know who they ended up giving that tour de france to i don't the, i only know that he was disqualified like the 18th place guy oh my good no that's not possible 100 percent. there were 17 uh, guys behind or 16 guys behind him that were doping then that's just who they could prove right so they had to give it to the 18th guy. That was the first guy that tested clean. It's um, it's similar to the 100-meter dash, the one that Ben Johnson was uh, 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 disqualified for, for doping. And then the Canadian was devo- disqualified shortly thereafter. And now the guy that has that gold medal was actually the eighth guy. He had to sub in from a relay race. <laughs> and now he has, he has the gold medal in that sport retroactively like 20 years later. So, like, I could basically be a gold medalist right now if I was in that race. They're like, you, first bystander in the front row. This one's yours, friend. Now, Andy, you got to qualify in the qualifiers to count. So if you, if you, if you swam the 100 meter, you know, the, the 12th best. You're ruining, ah, my fiction. You're, you're ruining my beautical, rich fiction. Sorry, let's go back to the rich fiction. Medalist. No, I like that. Andy, you're the fastest man alive. You're like, dun, 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 so dun, we've established dun, dun. that I'm the fastest man alive. Right. Um, and I'm going to use that speed to jump on into the next segment here. So at some point we can both sleep, sleep tight. Um, Bethesda on that positive note, Bethesda is busy suing the Warner brothers over very their new busy. mobile. West oh, we're very game. busy suing Warner brothers. Yes, indeed. Um, this is kind of weird though. So I know that you played the fallout game extensively, right? What's it called? It's a mobile uh, game. Fallout Shelter? Fallout Shelter, that's the one. So Fallout Shelter was made by um, a contractor that Bethesda uh, um, enlisted to, to build the game for them. And apparently, the same contractor was used to build a game that's fundamentally identical to this, uh, this Fallout Shelter game uh, based on Westworld, the popular Netflix or HBO? Netflix, HBO, I think? HBO, buddy. HBO, excuse me. The popular HBO uh, special. And so, I mean, first and foremost, like when I read this article, I was thinking, okay, fine. It's a very similar game, but what's to say that, you know, this isn't in the same vein of deciding on a new game type, right? So, sorry, give me an overview of Fallout Shelter. Let me, let me understand that first. It's like a, like an automated kind of base building game. Is that, is that what the deal is? You build build a thing and leave the, leave the app. Automated activities, training certainly goes on without the app. You get quests later on. But first and foremost, um, you know, it's a base building game. Um, Right. You know, Fallout's kind of got it plugged right in. There's a Fallout shelter, right? That's part of the game. So it plays in nice. And, you know, it's it's like it becomes a sort of an ant farm simulator. You know, you got your workers. They're doing things um, which are producing electricity and, you know, oxygen and whatnot, water. 
and and you know it the elements playing well as soon as you see uh, the Westworld app you can see that they've uh, copied exactly the way the screen works where all the structures are built they've permeated on the graphics and some of the game mechanics but uh not only is the look as they look deeper into this they have copied elements of the code and that's what's going to hurt them you know as long as you haven't stolen assets the fact that your game looks kind of like that maybe you'd have a case but when they when they lift code that's what really uh from a legal standpoint yeah, well, dude, the smoking gun. Exactly. So first I was like, is this really plagiarism or are they just, you know, reimagining the, me- the mechanics? This is a genre of game and they've created one sure that's similar, but I think we can both agree that there are many similar games out there. You Take- just turn around and say to Bethesda, you just stole Math Mad Max and put it underground. Like, right. you're, they're like, Fair damn. Point. <laughs> yeah, but the, the smoking gun is that there's an early bug from Fallout Shelter that's mm-hmm. present in this game. <laughs> Whoa. So, so Whoa. Yeah, the, con- the contractor took this. I, I assume it's the contractor um, or perhaps, you know, uh, at the behest of Warner Brothers. I don't know the story and I don't think it's I don't think it's public, but um, they seemingly have done exactly what you said. Lifted the code, not just chunks of it, but exactly. It has to be, you know, that's it's wild. This is the problem without cheating cheating with too much bravado you're like you can game the system you but don't don't just go copy paste steal it but steal it smart they're like we're gonna we're idiots i'm like good job yeah no that's not not the best not that guy that guy's not getting hired again the the coder that did that it's like really you you took it whole hog he's like whole hog and you didn't you didn't bug fix it against the stuff they fixed on the on the other side of those he's like whole hog Good. I copied and pasted it out of the company's Slack channel. Money, <laughs> please. Money, please. It was archived and everything. You wouldn't believe it. Didn't even <laughs> fix the bug. Didn't need to. Uh, they got along just fine without it in Fallout Shelter. Um, you know what is great, though? Tell the me. The fact that cannabis has been, well, cannabis in general is pretty great. I can attest to that right now, writing a little I didn't know where we wave. came down on that issue. Yeah. I'm pleased <laughs> to hear that, Andy. Here's some, here's some clarity for you, friend. I also um, think cannabis is pretty keen. It's pretty dope. Uh, here's what's wonderful, though. It's all wonderful. It's all good and wonderful. <laughs> High, Times wrote a, <laughs> High Times wrote an article recently called Seven Ways People Used Cannabis in 1930, which I find pretty freaking cool because, I mean, obviously people were smoking weed in 1930, but it's... Right around that time, I think that cannabis was on the cusp of being prohibited, right? Of being of being um, made made illegal, and so you've got, for example, uh, marijuana as a sedative. You've got this old timey jar marked poison on the top. By the way, (laughs) marked with poison, Uh, and underneath um, it's a a tincture made of alcohol uh, and and cannabis that was said to um, act as an anti-spasmodic. <laughs> so stop yourself from, uh, from you know epilepsy or seizure. That's fascinating, especially considering it does appear that cannabis has some epilepsy and seizure um, qualities. Uh, yeah, th- that actually has proven out. Um, and they uh, also, it was also marketed by the Lloyd Brothers of Cincinnati as a treatment for all all types of lady troubles, uh, whether they be melancholic, 
have stomach problems, have nervous depression. That's what they used oh. to call it. Because it used to be your nerves, right? Uh, like so, right. somebody was depressed. Like they have something wrong with their nerves. You know, they saw guys come back from war too. Like that, ah, they got their nerves are all messed up. Um, and also, it would treat PMS and I quote, female hysteria. <laughs> Female hysteria. Oh man, can you believe that that was a like like that was a that was a terminology. That was a medical term only a hundred years ago, which is just freaking crazy. I love the fact that they label every one of their antidotes as poison. <laughs> There's the poison moniker on this also. We're not it's gonna, like we're this not will help you, but you should this. know it's poisonous. Unless <laughs> yeah, no, we're not. This will help not going you. Going down on this one, Lloyd. This will help you unless a best quote on the bottle is um, and I quote. It uh, it allays abnormal sexual appetite. Oh man, someone had a little smile on when they did that because actually it does quite the opposite. Well, I don't. What is what is what is uh, uh what is uh, what would in the thirties would they consider abnormal sexual appetite? Is that not enough? Is it too much? Yeah, I would... that's pretty much anything in the thirties. I think. There you go. Any anything other than closing your eyes, taking it, and thinking of your country. <laughs> Oh, well said. Very well yes, said. Yes, sir. Uh, apparently, it's an asthma cure. So they had Indian cigarettes marketed to cure asthma. Now, listen, um, cannabis has some has some you know health or or let's just at least call it therapeutic applications. Uh, I don't think smoking a joint is known to cure asthma. What do you think, Dan? There's um there's two elements to this. So uh, originally they also thought the same of tobacco, um, and the reason is over the short term, um, s- uh, smoking may either dry or moisten the lungs over the short term. Typically, dry is the thought. They actually had tuber- tuberculosis um, cigarettes. Uh, tuberculosis also known kind of as wet lung, right? And the funny thing right. is, the tobacco over the short term would dry out the alveoli in the lungs. A little bit like sawdust in the engine, though, because as we know, um, cigarettes are usually a fairly frequent uh, habit. And over time, that turns to inflammation and, you know, all kinds of problems down the the road pulmonarily. Uh, But over the short term can be good. Now let's switch over to weed for a second. We do know it's an anti-inflammatory. And I don't know how you have it, but, you know, I'm sort of a more of a, I'm not an all day smoker. I'm a once a day um, at a maximum type of guy, maybe twice. Yeah, you and me both, you know, buddy. We're yeah. both evening tokers. Yeah, you got it. And I'm not. I'm not. Once all I'm the not, serious work has been put to bed. Ex- exactly. When the moment, you know, there's the cottage and there's whatnot. But when the moment presents itself, and that's normally the evening. I think in that dosage, especially if you're you're having something, you know, not low amount, low low imbibement. You're doing a bowl, I don't, and, and if it's CBD, even better. You could be doing some treatment. I think it's oh, permissible. So you, you're a, so you, you have asthma. Um, so and and uh, as as seasoned medical professionals, he, we at the Purple Dungeon Squid just want to exonerate ourselves from any medical claims here. But um, you you have asthma, and, and you've noticed that you know ingesting uh, small amounts of cannabis can have a, a positive effect on your ability to breathe. I mean, uh, for me. It, it, it can be good in, in certain amounts and I keep an eye on that. It has a lot to do with other elements because I don't I, I don't have the same asthma that other people have. I'm the type of guy, if there's an animal around or something like that, I have like especially an allergic trigger, that'll get me dust. And then, you know, then I stop everything. You know, I might not have a beer then. I might not pet your dog. I might not, uh, you know, chief down. 
Um, but uh, yeah, for me, uh, over the, the, the short term and in, in, in dosage, it's good. But, you know, there's different type of people with breathing issues. It takes all, all different forms. So it's one of these things you just know thyself, self, start small and ramp it up. And if you got a problem, you back it off. You know, you just, you'd be smart about it, especially if, uh, you know, it could put you in the hospital. Be wise. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No doubt. No doubt. No doubt. Um, asthma is such a weird thing. We won't talk too much about asthma, <laughs> but it can be triggered by so many things. Yeah, allergens, but stress can bring it on. You know, I've got a good friend who suffers from it pretty seriously when it comes to stress. Um, so it's, it's fascinating that, you know, perhaps cannabis in more than one way can have an impact on, on, uh, you know, asthma and its triggers. Um, back in the 19th century, so this is kind of cool. One of the other things that high times brings to bear is, uh, you know, not just in the 1930s, but all the way back as far as the early, uh, and mid 19th century, um, old school, uh, old school, uh, artists, 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 how do I even, what do I even say about these people? Balzac, Baudelaire, Dumas, and other French intellectuals, there you go, um, formed Le Club des Hachichins, which is basically a modern day like smoking lounge, which I think is freaking cool that Baudelaire and the dude who wrote, you know, The Three Musketeers and The Count of Monte Cristo were, were chiefing down in some sweet French uh, underground club that's off, that, that's that, off the that chain scratches me the right way that's yeah off that's the really chain. cool what's balzac uh, that rings that that rings a bell they're like they have a product of some kind balzac's uh, balls well balzac's a coffee house a very popular coffee uh, house chain yes. here in toronto yes that's um, true. but mr ball honore de balzac was a french novelist and playwright so yeah right up there with uh with our our, our good friends dumas and the other dude buddy uh, this really butters my egg roll and what, but, we, what butters your egg roll? These these four three Frenchmen. I feel like sorry. I want to I want to get in on this, but buttering an egg roll is horrific. You want a soy <laughs> sauce and egg roll. You want a plum sauce and egg roll. You want to get a little egg roll with some of that red sauce that's not really sauce, but you don't want to butter that guy. Yeah. Should I say? I think it'd be more apt, I guess, if I said in this case, butters my croissant. Uh, but the croissant's already buttered. Maybe like a dinner roll butters your dinner roll. Dinner roll's not so French, though. Uh, butter's my baguette. Yeah, there you go. But, see, now you, you've landed right on it. Right on it. Right on the nose. Some butter on the baguette. Can we just, before we move on, agree that I'm looking a lot like a, a musketeer at the moment as well? Uh, yeah, we can agree on that. All right. I just need... An 18th, a, an 18th century musketeer. I just need my Esh word. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, butter's your baguette. Go. Oh, I mean, just that these guys have this little f French club. This is like this is like a cool thing. I mean, you could write an Assassin's Creed story on the back of this. Yeah, pretty cool. During the uh, the twenties and thirties, uh, the article <laughs> goes on to say um, the there were uh, in sorry. The New Yorker reported on what <laughs> finally New York was referring to as tea pads. So, um, you know, right around the, the, the time of great jazz culture, uh, you've got these tea pads dotted around um, what, what I can only assume to be uh, the more jazz-inclined areas of New York. Um, you've got velvet couches set against cracked cream-colored walls with a few limp easy chairs to handle the overflow. Um, there's music playing, like I said, jazz, jazz going on throughout the, uh, throughout the evening. That sounds like a groovy spot to spend some time in the 1920s and 30s right in New York City. 
they seem to have a salute to the Russians on the right side of the cover here. You see that giant Russian dude? And even behind him, it says like Samanov Ruz something. Do you see this? Uh, yeah, that does look like a Russian dude. Who knows? At, New Yorker? They were way out on a limb at that point. And you know what? This almost feels like the 1920s version of an opium den. You know what I mean? Like it's it's like this this chill hangout that leave it to the French to make to enjoy <laughs> herb. Yeah, I like the idea of uh, hanging. I think I think the idea of like um, three of the most prolific, you know, novelists uh, spending some time smoking weed and, and hanging out in, in a chill spot feels to me a little different than like a debilitating strung out opium den somewhere on the dark underbelly of the city. But yeah, brother, I mean, it's 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 of a time like you look at the the, the luminaries of that time that were writing like Marco Polo describes opium dens, many other like famous historians talk about that experience. It was in some way formative for those cultures and I think ultimately disastrous in a lot of cases really hurt China and they, they did away with it. But, you know, it, it, it had a place in the culture at the Fair time. Point. That's why it existed, you know? Fair point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. P- people looking for, for spots to congregate and, and, you know, have their minds expanded. It's an era of intellectuals, so to speak. Well, yeah, and it's a cool it, thought, man. It, I mean, listen, if I could if I could sit down and smoke a J with... Uh, with um, Dumas and, and, and talk about why the movie rendition of, uh, of The Count of Monte Cristo was a steaming pile of garbage and while his original Oops. works were the greatest thing to come to uh, the written word. Nice, um, yeah, saved it. I'd, I'd, feel, I'd feel like jamming on that. I, I, I agree wholeheartedly. It's funny because they call them tea pads because what's the other thing that comes out of China other than opium at that time in history? Tea? Tea. So it's like, did you go the opium way? They're like, nah, tea, bro. <laughs> now we went. Also, tea. a nice, nice cup of tea. Wonderful thing to participate in after uh, after a good joint, um, dude. I want to steer this ship home, my friend. I want to. I want us to to kind of settle in. I wanted to pull up an article on Game Informer though before we adjourn, because I don't know if you could tell when we were talking about E3. I'm giddy with excitement over Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Um, you know, I've heard a lot of chatter going on. Some folks are really disappointed about the fact that they're not electing to continue the story of Bayek from Assassin's Creed Origins, which I get. Like, you didn't play any Origins, right? No. Right. So Bayek was a genuinely interesting character in ancient Egypt. What I love about Assassin's Creed Odyssey, and indeed this article is called 10 Things You Need to Know About Assassin's Creed Odyssey, is that the canon main character of the game, because you can play as either a male or a female, is not Alexios, but Cassandra. Mm -hmm. So it's cool. This is the first canon um, main character of an Assassin's Creed game that's a female. And the idea that this is taking place in ancient Greece... And it's a female that's uh, that's playing the part of the of the you know um, sword wielding hero. I just I find that you know uh, that juxtaposition really interesting. You know, yeah, and it, it's got a fit for for Egypt. And this will be the first time that Assassin's Creed will have a female lead, if I recall. It's a, a fit for yeah, exactly. It is the first time uh, fit for ancient Greece. And I and I like oh ancient Greece. Yeah, I like that. It's um, I like that they. They've saved it this long because I think that's been part of the design aesthetic because you're, you're kind of playing this continuance of an image through history. And I, I think this many games in eight or whatever, you, you can switch up that variable now. Yeah, I feel you. Uh, and speaking of switching it up, there's no hidden blade. So, you know, halfway through every Say Assassin's Creed game. 
Yeah, there's no hidden blade. Let me let me tell you. Let me tell you what they've replaced it with. They replace it with Leonidas's spear, which, oh. by the way, sounds like an all-male strip club. That is some Chippendale dancers down at the uh, the Leonidas spear. But um, I think that's so. Leonidas being the uh, the immutable leader of the of the Spartans, right? Uh, and so I find that damn cool. I love that the Spartan aesthetic is in full is out in full force in this game. Uh, I boy, I'm I'm really pumped about it. Um, there's as we said previously some additional role playing depth to the game. Um, you know they they're expanding on uh, on on origins take on. Um, you know, combat. So the, the expanded options for combat, um, are still in place, but they've, they've gone deeper on the RPG choices. You can, uh, you can get down in romantic Bioware style with, um, with NPCs. And let me see here. Islands of adventure about those gods play as a proto assassin. The game is launching with a photo mode. That's, that's the last thing I want to talk about. (laughs) Photo mode. Oh, what a terrible thing to end on. And you Assassin's like Creed. Mode? Andy, you don't like photo mode? <laughs> Assassin's Creed Odyssey, the number one most important element, launching with selfie mode. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a buddy, with the, the world is beautiful enough or the moments are good enough. You want to take a screenshot just to put on your background. You know, uh, God of War has netted me some pretty great stills. Really? Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. I've never done that before. Maybe I'm maybe I'm missing out. Um and, and apparently you know what, there's oh go ahead. You know you know what you all you never hear about? Those What's wonderful that? Greek ninjas. Greek they're just ninjas. Not a, they're, not a, they're not a stealthy warrior class, you know what I mean? You're like, and then the Greeks snuck up on us. No, they didn't. Yeah, yeah. The, right, assassin, no, didn't. The, the assassin element seems missing, decidedly missing here. Yeah, I think um, it's it's offended some of the traditionalists. Um, you know, because the—I mean—that's part of the the jam, right? They've gone a different way. There's also some naval elements here. So naval um, elements. Yeah, there's some open water, a la Black Flag stuff going on here with Odyssey. Um, they're bringing back some open world naval stuff. So yeah, I, I, I dig all of this. This is this game again is really is really tickling me right in the right spot. I cannot wait to get my hands on uh, on <laughs> on Leonidas's spear. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, Andy! You oh, know what no. another name for Sparta is? Uh, good night, Lacedonia. There you go. Listener questions or games you want us to play? Purple Dungeon Squid at Gmail dot com. And Andy, you transitioned to that ending so fast it made my head spin. Please, <laughs> if you like this podcast, recommend it to a friend. It may end abruptly in such a way that you. Shat your knickers, but in the end of the day, I'd say that trip was <laughs> worth it. Captain, we went from warp speed to immediate stuff. The inertia killed everyone inside. <laughs> uh, make sure you follow us on Instagram at Purple Dungeon Squid. Until next time, my friends, keep it dank. Keep it dank. Fuck, I am high.